Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It's the 21st of June, 2021, and it is time, everybody, for Morning Combat. Hello, everyone. I am one half of your hosting duo. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm from CBS Sports, as well as, of course, Showtime. And the gentleman on the other side of the screen holds many of the same designations from CBS Sports as well as Showtime. He also happens to be the king of Connecticut. It's Brian Campbell. What's up, BC? You know, Luke, just fired up thinking about taking over the world, right? You know, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I'm ready to penetrate all of our fans. I want to run through your wicked garden because I heard that's the place to find you. And uh, you're in the right place. Okay, Luke, I don't know. Luke, you are you are you intentionally dressing up like a high school nerd, Luke, with a I all you need is a pocket protector. I'm wearing a polo shirt. Does that make me a nerd? No, it's just it's it's disarming to see you in that, you know, oh. for a man of your muscularity. It, it, it's, you know, I mean, I could see you in this King Mo TNA wrestling shirt a lot easier than I could uh, that that right there. But well, my wife got it for me for Father's Day. It's uh, it's a double XL, if that tells you anything. But uh, okay. 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 but, you know, yes, I'm living. I'm living. It's not buttoned at the top, but it kind of looks like it is, which makes it look like a moron. But. It's gotta, you know, it's gotta open up a little. It's gotta breathe. Don't let me cause you to rethink your uh, your choices in life, Luke. I mean, yeah. who the hell am I, right? Uh, I'm too old to care anyway. BC, uh, did you have a good Father's Day? A great one, okay, a great one. All right. I mean, that's what it's all about: spending time with your kids. My my twin, thirteen year old boys. We they they put up with the art museum. You know what I'm saying? We went out for Mexican, played some Fortnite. I mean, it was really a, a grand day. Walked the dogs. What what a time to be alive, Luke. Um, uh, you know, I mean, it's a special day for dads. I called mine. Did you call yours, Luke? Did he pick up the phone? Uh, he texted me at the beginning of the day. Had a very nice message, so that was okay. nice. But All I, right, we'll, ta- we'll take what we could get from Sir Robert. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Uh, so that was fine. Yeah, I, I actually kept it nice and close. I told my wife I was not looking to go pile into some restaurant, so they brought the restaurant to me. They ordered a bunch of good food and made a bunch of other stuff, and it was amazing. And uh, went to the pool with my daughter. Uh, oh, nice. And, uh, and uh, got to work out in the front yard, which, you know, BC is my favorite thing to do. Got to lift weights out there. So I mean, that's what a dad should do on Father's Day, whatever the hell he wants to do. Luke, I ate calamari tacos. It was borderline uh, liver friendly, too. Ooh. So uh, it, was, you know, it was a good day. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, I had, um, I had a breakfast burrito that my wife got me. And then uh, she later put together some burgers for me. So I was pretty happy about that. Ate like uh, shit, Col- but... Colombian burgers, they must be spicy, right? Love it. Yeah. Actually, Col- Colombians don't eat spicy food. It's actually a big misconception. It's actually pretty... It's It can be full of salt and pepper, but they don't eat... They don't like hot food. Like, uh, like for example, Mexicans. My buddy I mean, went to Mexico it- and came back. They have candy in Mexico that's all hot, like all spicy. Oh, yeah. I've had their, uh, their Mexican uh, hot chocolate ice cream. It's spicy as shit. Look, it wouldn't be morning combat if I wasn't, uh, you know... Uh, mis <laughs> miscategorizing people of different cultures by accident. Really, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, it's okay. It's all right. But you know what? You live and learn. Uh, we got a lot to get to today. BC. You know, what was surprising was on Friday's show. We were trying to tell everyone there was a lot of things going on, but it wasn't until they all kind of manifested, and then you got the collective weight of everything. You're like, wow, there was a lot that happened over the weekend. There was the UFC results. There's lots of boxing results. Um, and everything kind of in between. It was actually a pretty fun weekend. So I want to encourage everyone, if you're new here, we do this three times a week at 11 a.m. Thank you for joining us. Give it a thumbs up on that video. And uh, if you've not yet taken the plunge to subscribe, 
now is the time. Hit that subscribe button. Plus, as you can see here, uh, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Names change a little bit for me and BC across the two platforms, but Morning Combat, consistent name everywhere you want to look for it. Uh, BC, I don't yeah, want to I mean, say... Look, a look, look, quickly here. 90,000 people could, can't be wrong that this show is going to the top, but we'd like to get to 100. So if you're still grazing on the land for free, why don't you click that subscribe button? Uh, we, you know, we don't need no stinking paywall, okay? Still free, still American-made. It's Morning Combat, and we're coming for you, okay? All right? BC, All I'm right. told we have an okay. announcement on Wednesday, but I don't want to say what it is. But I can say this. For now, you know where you can get merch? You can go to store.show.com. You can go get Gen 1 merch over there. And hey, BC, you yeah. can get nice mugs like this. It's pretty good. I mean, if you've been saving your shekels for merch 2.0, like uh, like hoping that, uh, you know, Pops will come home from the war or something, or, or Chris Kringle's going to slide down that chimney... <laughs> I hear Wednesday is a good day for you. But, you know, they've, they've, they've said that a few times, Luke. Okay. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, for now, you can go to store.show.com. And, of course, if you want to try Showtime, you certainly may. Showtime.com, you can get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. But that's the place that's got a lot going on. Uh, by the way, did you see Joe Rogan Instagramming over the weekend saying how much he enjoyed the Kings documentary, called it a oh. treat for boxing fans. Uh, I've not, I've still, I have all saved on my DVR. I've not yet seen it, BC, but I'm, that is I'm excited a, to take that plunge. A classic show for boxing fans of all heights, Luke. I mean, that is a killer documentary. All four parts are insane. Uh, let's just remind the people that these four all-time greats fought each other nine separate times over 10 years in the 1980s, Hagler, Hearns, Leonard, Duran. And uh, I'll be chatting with Al Bernstein of Showtime fame later today about that doc. So check out that bonus content coming to Morning Combat this week. Should be a nice chat. Uh, it, it can't miss doc. If you like The Last Dance with Jordan, if you like the damn Tiger King outcry, some of the great docs we've seen over the quarantine, Luke, this is as good or better, okay? And that's some that's some uh, elite company we're talking about right there. And also, if you get Showtime or, or, or you try it for 30 30 days uh the takashi 69 documentary is actually really good it's actually not gonna, really, not gonna watch my you, wife Luke. liked it not gonna watch it sorry sorry yeah i can't i can't blame you i can't blame you but it is for those who want to like just burn some time it's actually pretty fun uh and I the guy giancarlo night, hold on giancarlo esposito who plays gus fring in breaking bad he narrates it so that's fun well, real quick, on the Showtime app, actually, last night, I watched the, the 2011 thriller uh, Limitless with uh, Bradley Cooper and Robert it's, it's, De Niro. It's, it's decent. It's decent. One of my favorite modern movies. I don't care what you think about yeah. the quality. It's fantastic. And I and I think just think the parallels to MK are, are you know, to that NK-47, whatever the hell that drug is called, uh, it's, it's, it's very on par, Luke. Let me just say something. If that drug existed, there's not a doubt in my mind I would take it. I'd absolutely take it. I don't care what the side effects are. Uh, okay. We used Was to think that we mind? found that drug in 2002 uh, when they when they invented Adderall, but we were wrong. We were dead wrong. Luke. We were dead Have wrong. you ever taken Adderall? Uh, Luke, I don't. I don't really want to re relive people's sins on the air here. Can we get? No, no, no. What I mean is, night, what I mean is. Uh, okay, let me ask a different way. Have you ever taken it as prescribed by a physician? We could talk about this on the uh, morning combat room service diaries and when they collect all the data to one day fire us, Luke. Okay. So I, thank I, you I, I took much. Adderall for a time, you know, uh, around 2004 and five. Here's my review of it. It definitely works. Like it's good, but you can just kiss sleeping goodbye because that shit well, ain't happening anymore. If you want to have a living podcast with everyone you talk to, take Adderall. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's basically <laughs> because it. Because every conversation, Luke, is the most important one you've ever had. Thank you very much. Uh, and then lastly, if you want to email the show either for Wednesday's 
fan submissions or for Friday's Dead Wrong or for any other kind of reason, just email us. Morningcombat at gmail.com is the place to be. All right, so we got a lot to get to, to, get to today. We have your questions, DMs from Donks. We have BC's Have You Seen This Shit? But for now, BC, you and I have to tackle the big five topics. You ready to get this started? Let's do it. All right. Topic number one, let's do it. The Korean zombie was in the main event. He defeats Dan Ige via, I think it was unanimous decision. I have to go and look again. I think it was, yes. Uh, it was like 249-46 is 148-47, which is interesting, meaning one judge had it 2-2 two two heading into the fifth. That may be a little bit generous, but in any case, the Korean zombie won. BC, a lot to unpack here. Let's start with this framing of the question. Did you see enough from him in this fight to maybe wash away some of the bad impressions you got from him in the loss to Brian Ortega? I did. This is mature, older, strategic TKZ coming at you. What do I mean by that? He built his name off being reckless and destructive, right? Then, you know, we saw him coming off of the, the, the break for war, for uh, military training. He was still that guy, but he was evolving. But I think he learned a lot from that Brian Ortega loss, that there is levels to this. And what I loved about this win against Ige was uh, he realized the effectiveness of wrestling. I don't even know if that was going to be his plan coming in, but you saw any time he exchanged with Ige, he won some of those exchanges, he lost some of those exchanges, but what he realized is the size differential and the skill differential on the ground was going to be enough over five rounds to consistently give him that edge if he took to the, fight, the fight to the ground. And I love to see this out of a fighter who can still be dangerous if it's the right fight and you lead him to war, but he's got to figure out other ways to compete at the elite level. It was a humbling, sober loss to Brian Ortega that was so different than the freak nature in which he lost to Yair Rodriguez. And, and, and again, since coming back from that break, we haven't seen the Korean zombie look bad. He's been incredible. So he needed this win. If you got him at plus money like we told you to take him on Friday's show, it turned out to be a great boost for you. And when you saw the two together, Luke, am I raw? I mean, Ige, you love the heart. You love the hunger. But he fights in a big man style in a small man's body frame in this division. Could he almost be better served at 135, Luke? Because I think size turned out to be the difference in this. Like I said, they were relatively even on the feet at times, but when the Korean Zombie took it to the ground, he was able to control large chunks of the rounds. And in the end, it was a fairly wide and, and you know, and, and, and impressive decision victory. Yeah, I mean, I have two thoughts about this. Like, you know, did it fully put back his stock the way it was before the loss to Brian Ortega. Probably not that in that in not to that extent. Um, but I do like your overall takeaway. It's the same one that I had, which was on the feet, I actually thought Dan Ige was having a fair amount of success. Now, so was Korean Zombie. He was landing a, a, a fair amount as well. But like some of that body work, especially late from Dan Ige, that was having a real and sincere effect. I mean, to the extent that the fight went to the ground as much as it did, is because there was some parody on the feet. You can say that you know maybe Korean Zombie was getting the better, depending on one's perspective. But that was a that was a very even fight uh, on the feet for Danny Gay uh, and Korean Zombie. It was when they went to the floor. To your point, it was much different. Was size a factor? That's probably some. Uh, I think that definitely played a role. I don't know if Dan Ige can make 145. But the thing about Korean Zombie for me is it didn't necessarily change my impression of some of the lessons that I learned from the Ortega fight. It just showed me that Korean Zombie was willing to use, you know, we had thought on Friday that, you know, 
Korean Zombie can go to the ground if he wants to, if he is baited that way, or if the fight somehow finds itself there. But I really thought it was going to be on the feet, the way which you kind of saw it in that first round, where you saw the lateral movement from Danny Ige, in and out, in and out, setting it up, level change, the whole nine yards. And when he did that, he had a dude that he he was doing really well. Uh, but Korean Zombie realizing that's just not enough at this point. Remember, big reason why he got stung in that Ortega fight was he got hit with a spinning back uh, elbow or the spinning back forearm. And when that happened, he got, I mean, once that bell was rung, he couldn't unring it. He never really could recover. It just shows you that there's a lot of chaos on the feet in MMA. It's just way too many variables you have to kind of plan for. I mean, a big reason why St. Pierre was such a dominant wrestler late in his career, especially was, well, one, he was very good at it. But two, BC, you know this, he got his bell rung a few times standing up because it's just really hard to not uh, suffer some kind of a fate like that if you do it long enough. Let me ask you to split the difference between the levels of our analysis right there. I looked at it as a plus, the way Korean Zombie made the adjustments, saw the advantage he had, and leaned on it. Did you look at it more like Korean Zombie leaning on the wrestling was because he didn't trust himself striking with Danny Gay, and you almost wanted to see the TKZ of old walk down the smaller fighter and stop him? Because I looked at it as a mature, educated victory. He didn't have to go the hellacious route, and he still found a way to win convincingly. No, I, d I definitely agree with you. I think you're on the money with this. I think, you know, once you realize that Dan Ige is having some success, however much you want to say he was winning, he was not, whatever, it was enough for alarm bells to start going off in Korean Zombie's head, and that's when he decided to then use the full totality of his repertoire, and that's what got him the victory. I think that's a smart call by him. I think it was the right call by him, quite frankly. And obviously, in the end, it proved to be uh, the intelligent decision by virtue of how the fight went. I I'm merely pointing out that, like, did we learn that he could fix all the problems and all the deficiencies on the feet that he may have taken into the Ortega fight? Less so, I think you can make that kind of improvement, at least fight over fight, and more that you can realize, I've got all these other skills, why am I just letting them go to waste if I'm experiencing difficulty in this very, very chaotic... I mean, the ground can be chaotic, BC, it can be, and lots of things can go wrong, but I tend to think there's more chaos in MMA when you stand, and I think he's beginning to realize you don't want to suffer too much from that. One more thing, by the way, that's for a guy who got hit with a spinning back elbow and from Yair Rodriguez and the one uh, from Brian Ortega. You know, you can't, you, a fight stands on the feet long enough, dude, bad things are going to happen to you eventually. One note about Danny Same thing Gale. about wiping, Luke. You stand too long, there's too, too many variables of chaos coming. I mean, just sit, sit your ass down. What are you, a third world? Uh, I mean, what's going on here? Nothing against third world folks, Luke, but they got to squat over a hole in the ground. We're, we're, we're yeah. adapted, civilized humans here. I mean, what the did hell's I, did wrong I tell you? The, did I tell you the story of going to Turkey once? I was in Istanbul, and I had to use a public restroom, and it was one lira to use, which was whatever, 50 cents or something. But uh, the guy didn't have toilet paper, so he was literally tearing pages out of a phone book and handing them to us. <laughs> I was like, and it was for a hole in the ground. And I was like, you know what? I'll You're just like, shit my pants, actually. Thank you, sir. I'll, I'll a lot have a guy's uh, name Singh here. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's uh, well no, Singh is Indian, not, not Turkish, but okay. That is uh, your either, homeland. Don't, don't yeah. be. See, Luke, you tried to tell me real quick. Yeah, you don't, you don't like when I go off the exit here. I get it. You tried to tell me that you weren't actually born in India. You were born on sovereign U.S. territory within the country of India. Luke, I, yes. like, I, dude, you're, I don't understand that, Luke. And people go, oh, BC should be in this chair. How does he not understand that? Luke, uh, I mean, aren't, shouldn't you be an Indian citizen? I mean, can't, you're a man of the no, world. No, I wasn't can't, born in Indian territory. Why would I be an Indian citizen? Anyway, I do want to say one note about Dan Ige, if I may, BC. 
I know that this win was probably, or excuse me, the win for Korean Zombie, but his loss was maybe a little bit discouraging. But I really want to caution folks, to your point, BC, maybe he drops to 135. I don't know if that's in the cards or not, but it's certainly a possibility. The other thing is this, man. I've seen these guys. I've been around MMA long enough to know. There's a certain set of guys who they get good wins, and they maybe don't beat the great ones in their division for a long time. But if they stick it out and you let a few more years pass where he, you know, Danny is only 29, where he gets to 31 or 32, that three years of accumulated training and wisdom, that's the thing that puts them over the edge. So what I want to point out about Dan Ige is maybe he's not going to get to the place he wants to be as fast as he wants to, but if he's patient and he keeps doing what he's doing, I really believe this. I want to be very sincere about this. I think down the line, he can be an elite player in this division. Maybe not right now, but don't count out Dan Ige just yet. I'm very, I'm very honest about that. Um, okay. So, BC, Korean Zombie calls for a fight with the injured Max Holloway afterwards, saying, I have punching power, he doesn't. Is that the right fight for both Korean Zombie and Max Holloway? Where are we on this? I don't know. I just saw the BC 90s counter jump up there for no reason. Um, I'll say that, uh, I mean, look, Jair Rodriguez has that fight. UFC trying to actively re- you know, reschedule it per the sources in, in reporting there. Um I think you got to argue who has the one-upness on more deserving to be in a number one contender bout, Korean Zombie or Yair. Well, it'd be Yair. He beat him, right? And he's not coming off of a, a defeat as recently. So I like the fact that he's punching up, meaning Korean Zombie, and trying to be look like, look, who can I beat that will get me the title shot? Because that's what the guy wants, right? That's what they're after in this game, of course. Uh, I don't think he's going to get that. So you really have to then look, you know, who's not hurt, who's not coming off a loss in that mix, we mentioned Josh Emmett's name before. If he can come back healthy soon, that would be a great sort of, uh, uh, you know, advancement fight to figure out who's going to be right up there to the front of the line. I think that's more of, of a realistic turn. But again, Korean Zombie's got a name. You stay by the phone. You never know what can happen, Luke. I have to say, I, if they could find a way to make Korean Zombie versus Max Holloway, I'd really love that fight. I actually think, that's a, I actually think that Max Holloway probably puts a beating on him over time. Uh, Max Holloway, legendary chin, amazing output, right? Some of the best volume striking in the business you saw against Calvin Cater. You know, does he have that one punch gotcha power? No, I don't think he's got that, but he absolutely devastates people. He, he, you know, he, Brian Ortega was sat out for two years after that loss. I realize it's a series of complicating factors beyond just the loss itself, but still, you know, he puts, I mean, look at the beating he put on Calvin Cater. In some ways, it's almost worse than just getting your lights shut out, one punch KO. Plus, as we all know, Max Holloway, maybe some of the best takedown defense in all of the UFC. You know, Korean Zombie wants that fight. I'd love to see it for the action, but I, I would favor Max Holloway to win that one oh, by a wide would. margin. Of course you would. And footwork-wise and game-planning-wise, you would think you would have a one-up. We would have to see the Korean zombie of old in that fight. You're not going to take Max down at will. You'd have to go in there and try to get him into a war and try to hit him with something big. But again, Max has the plus abilities in all of those categories, including chin, that it's hard to get over the top. I think the best news here, Luke, is the top end of this featherweight division is as good in Mm. terms of legitimate title contenders as, as any division we have in the sport. I mean, lightweight and bantamweight, a little bit above it in the power rankings. You know I love me some women's straw weight, but featherweight is right there. I really hope my guy Zabit Magomed Sharapov can can get healthy and get back in there because he only adds to this conversation. I mean, just listen to the top 15 here, BC. I'll just real very quickly. So first of all, Volkanovski's not ranked because he's your champion. So number one, you have Holloway. Two is Ortega. Three, Rodriguez. 
four Korean zombie, and this will shuffle around based on the results, but this is where it stands at the moment. Five, Calvin Cater. Six, Josh Emmett, to your point, who I think is criminally underrated. Dude, it does not fall off from there. Seven is Arnold Allen, maybe the most underrated fighter in UFC. Eight, Danny Gay. Nine, Barboza. Ten, Giga Chikazi. He's looking for a big fight. Eleven, Sadiq Youssef, the fighter of the future. Twelve, Bryce Mitchell. Thirteen, undefeated Movsar Evloev, however you pronounce his last name. And then fourteen, Shane Burgos. And fifteen, Alex Cassers. Dude, (laughs) it's just hammers top to freaking bottom over at 145. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 like showing up for Rocco's prostate exam. You know, I mean, it, it's the same thing, Luke. Right? You know. By the way, what did you? You're, you're gross. Um, what did you make of the scoring? How did you have the scoring of that fight? Yeah, I felt uh, four to one was was adequate. Yeah. What about the two two thing? I did not have it that way. No. But if you wanted to have the first round and the well, by the way, all three judges had it the first round for Ige, which even I wasn't so sure about, and then some didn't give him the fourth, and I was like. Wasn't the fourth his best round by far? I didn't understand some of the scoring there. Well, let me ask you this, Luke. Do you think the judges are being overly critical of the fact that I thought Korean Zombie strategically was able to get takedowns when he needed them, but let's be honest, he wasn't able to maul Ige once he was on top. Do you think they're holding that against him? Maybe, although, you know, that one, he got the back a couple of times, um, and he held it for a good long while, and then was threatening with the chokes, and there was... I mean, some of that hand fighting that Dan Ige was doing, like, if he made just one more tiny mistake, the fight's over. Like, he let it get pretty far. You know, obviously, Dan Ige's got extremely good hand fighting. He could play at some of those margins, but still, that was dangerous territory. So, shouts to him for getting out of it, but still, that was that was rough. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just the thing for me is it's like, I, I know that the modern criteria for the 10-9 must system is a big improvement over what it was before, which means if we can get this far, there might be some similar updates that we can get in the future to make it even better. But I still don't think this is the way we have it, the right formula. I still don't think it accurately gauges what is happening in a fight. And so you get sometimes these weird results where between the scoring criteria being sometimes hard to implement and also be saying, I'm going to say it again, Watching on TV is not the same experience as watching a fight right on the cage. They don't look the same. They don't sound the same. In many cases, they don't feel the same in terms of who's winning and losing. If it's close, you're going to get dicey shit like that. So Yeah, no, um, pe- you know, people that haven't had the luxury, whether as a fan or a journalist, to sit literally in the first or second or third row there of a boxing or MMA fight, you don't know the... The, the true volume of the punches, meaning the power, not, not volume, sorry, the power, the impact of the punches in strikes until you're there. Seriously, you know, there's strikes that look on TV like they're landing and they are, but you can really see who's moving who, who's making the other one back up in person. I just feel like, Luke, uh, MMA judges used to overscore the impact of being able to take somebody down. Now I feel like they're course correcting too much in the other direction at times right. where if you're not doing damage, and Luke, maybe this is a filthy casual boxing guy taking you know bring it i'm fine with that that's that's okay whatever you i don't care what you think about me any any anyone out there all right i'm I'm here to steal here to steal your fans maybe even your girl too um i feel like luke not scoring defense in mma makes no sense to me i get the idea of like it's a fight so so damage is going to take you know most into account and there are a lot a lot of boxing judges who scored damage above everything else, and I respect that. It's a fight. You're going for the knockout. 
a lot of times the big debate is the the elusive puncher and boxer against the hard-hitting guy who maybe didn't land as much, but he did damage. I get that. Foundational theory. But in boxing judging, in the five in the five sort of categories that boxing judges look like look at, excuse me, defense is a big part of that. If you're somebody like Floyd Mayweather and you can make somebody miss and it can open up room for you to counter and do I mean, it's part of it. In MMA, Luke, I feel like there's more ways that defense is important, including takedown defense can completely change a fight. And we're supposed to just not add that into the scoring in terms of the quote unquote ring gentleman, you know, generalship or, or cage generalship. I don't understand in MMA how that's not a thing. Can you enlighten me as the filthy one next to you? Yeah, I don't have much to say beyond that. I, I'm not. The way it's for folks who may not know, the way it works in the scoring criteria as it stands today is that they call defense its own reward. So if someone shoots on you and you stuff the takedown, you don't get points for that. But the idea would be the reward is that you no longer have to suffer the takedown, right? So that's the reward of defense. I, I understand. I understand to a degree um, that thinking. I, I, I don't know. I don't have so much of an issue with that. I just feel like. I think you're right. There's a little bit of course correction where, yeah, Darian Caldwell maybe deserves to lose some of the fights he's lost. But there's also a situation where, um, you know, if if a referee's not standing you up from a lack of activity, you should think long and hard about why not and how that should impact the scoring as the person on top. I think I think that's something I've been really... And again, getting to the back, it's like, oh, he didn't do anything with the back. It's like, you fucking idiot. If I can make the fight so that your only options are defense, motherfucker, I, <laughs> you need to understand the, 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 the profundity of that position. But okay, different story for a different time. BC, let's get to some good news, if we can. Point number two. This was not originally going to be our point number two when I, we were thinking about Monday's show from Friday, but we had to bump it up in the charts, BC. How about Anderson... Mother effing Silva, huh? He <laughs> defeats Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., of course. Now, via split. Now, if you go back and you watch the fight, that should not have been a split. That should have been unanimous. Everybody six watching it. Six rounds to two. Look, yeah, six yeah. rounds to two. Yeah. I mean, come on now. Yeah. Let's be clear about this. Anderson Silva thoroughly outboxed him. Now, BC, I am going to play devil's advocate as I pitch this question to you. Why can't I say, I'm not saying this is my view, I'm saying I'm going to play a role here. Why can't I say Cesar Chavez is washed, he's been washed for a long time, and now he's washed and doesn't even try? What's the big deal? BC, tell the audience. What's the big deal? I mean, there are a lot of layers to it. So many layers that you can lean in either direction. So, Luke, let's start with this. I tweeted something out that... You don't always get the full context in a tweet, right? But I meant the spirit of what I said. I said, for the many, the many fails that have happened in the boxing career of Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., particularly the second half after his short-lived middleweight title reign, this is by far the worst, the bottom floor. Worse than when he quit against Danny Jacobs and faked an injury and got pelted by fans. I mean, let's not forget, Luke, he walked out to the ring in Guadalajara in Mexico, his home country, with his dad in the main event against a Brazilian guy from another sport and got booed on this night after missing weight again. So we're talking about a guy <laughs> who you cannot forget has become a full-time clown. We laid I laid it out on Friday's show, Luke. It's like fight after fight. It's like, oh, that one he quit, that one he missed weight, that one he got a gift decision against a smaller guy. Like, it's been a joke. Yet I stand by what I said. This is the lowest moment 
Okay, and then I got a lot of people going, BC, like, you got to put some respect on Anderson Silva's name. He had two pro boxing fights. He's got better boxing than any MMA guy ever. That can all be true. He's also 46 years old. Like, let's, like, I'm going to get to the part in this analysis where I give Anderson a shitload of praise. This was a feel-great moment, not even feel-good. But let's frame something effectively here. Chavez losing to Anderson Silva, even at 35 here, in his own sport, in an eight-round real fight, no shenanigans, is worse than the MMA equivalent, which is old-ass Ray Mercer knocking out Tim Sylvia with one punch in regional MMA after Sylvia became washed. Why? Because at least old man Ray Mercer got, you know, quote-unquote, got lucky with what he brought to the table, a puncher's chance. This was Chavez in his own sport getting outclassed by a guy who's ancient. Now, again, Anderson Silva's a legend. The, the hand speed, the foot speed, I mean, it was, it was incredible. He's a different level than other people. But when you take into full totality the slide that Chavez Jr. has had, starting with the pink underwear in the buildup to the Sergio Martinez fight where he didn't train at all, slept in late, wouldn't even go to the gym and had to rearrange the living room and bring Freddie Roach and his pops in to yell at him, this, this is the bottom floor. This is rock bottom to go in there in a fight which he had no business letting this happen. Luke, it's the way that he lost this fight that was so disappointing for him and for boxing in a way. Again, takes nothing away from what we're about to say nice about Anderson Silva. But Anderson Silva made Chavez not do the one thing that he still has, Luke. Like, he's, he's built big, even though he's the smaller fighter in this, and he can cut inside and go to the body. A 46-year-old retired MMA fighter forced him off of the only game plan he had coming in hmm. and cut him. And the, the big miracle, if you're a boxing fan, was that Silva didn't get screwed on the cards. He almost did. It was a split decision. Almost. Almost. But, like, you have to understand, this is worse than, than Mercer and Tim Sylvia. This is as bad as it gets for somebody who used to have a legitimate boxing world title. I mean, it really is, Luke. Let me, let me say something. Discussion, if- and, and now talk good about Anderson. Yeah, let, let me say something about Anderson. I think all your I mean, MMA fans don't quite understand who Cesar Chavez was at his peak, and I don't think they've understood kind of reputationally who he is and how far he's fallen. And this is this is, I, I mean, I'm reading boxing sites and boxing forums. Boxing fans are are more than done with him. They are they they they're to the point now where they couldn't get up for interest with him if their lives depended on it. But let's say something nice about Anderson Silva, and not just something nice. Let's say something truthful about him. Dude, that fucking rocked. That was great. It's going to sound like I'm bashing UFC, but I'm honest to God not. I mean this on my on my child, on my, on my deceased mother. I'm trying to be honest. The UFC, is they excel at so many things things and 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 excuse me dana white will say to you bc you know this is what we do that's not what we do i think one of the things that for example it used to be the case bc and you know this as well as i that it used to be that the ufc was really bad about celebrating its own history now there might be still some struggles with that but i honestly feel like in the last 10 years five years or six they've come a long way they've gotten so much better about honoring their history trying to teach fans about it trying to share it um, maybe maybe successfully or not but i can see that there's a lot more effort there and i applaud them for doing that right keep going I do think, though, BC, that one of the things they're not great at, because they're just not built for it, they're not designed to do it, they don't know how to say goodbye to their yes. legends. 
they're not good at that because usually if someone is in the stage that they're in where they can't win anymore and they're kind of old, they'd be long gone. But because they're legends, they kind of hang on and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes in the case of BJ Penn, which is a little bit different, they can be self-destructive and you're trying to help them, but they're not good at giving that exit to that really decorated fighter with a couple of exceptions here or there. Silva's exit from MMA, or at least from UFC or whatever it's going to end up being, we'll see if he goes back to MMA or something we see, but that fight against, um, uh, not Brunson, I'm sorry, sorry, Uriah Hall in the Apex, I mean, it's a perfectly fine fight in some ways, BC, but no crowd, no celebration, no nothing. It felt, in retrospect, watching this, so empty. BC, tell me if I'm wrong. He was, Anderson Silva, he was so, if nothing else, happy. He looked oh. like he was having the time of his life. But and that was missing happy, from the end of his UFC run. Not just happy. He looked, he looked great. So look, again, both things can be true at the same time. It's a dark day for Chavez Jr. in, in boxing to some degree, no question. But Silva went in there and did things, Luke, that I don't think we thought he was going to be able to do. Keep an aggressive fighter off of him. Now look, you do have to look closer at a few things. One, Silva has retained, like aging Roy Jones a few years ago, he still retained a, a good amount of speed and reaction, So he's been, and the footwork was incredible. But I think the biggest credit you have to give Silva was making that adjustment from MMA footwork to boxing footwork in such an insanely short amount of time that he actually bedazzled Chavez Jr. He gave Chavez Jr. reason, like I mentioned, not to come forward and do what he was supposed to do. Put his head down, get inside Anderson's chest, even if it's dirty and gross and borderline illegal, and just pound away at the body and win a gross decision. That was like the best case scenario for Chavez Jr. What we do have to look at is a couple things. Chavez Jr. never had good foot speed, even in his prime. Like I said on Friday, he took advantage of the fact that he could uh, make 160 in almost dangerous fashion and then rehydrate up to like stupid levels like 175 185 one like stupid levels and he had a size advantage and he wore guys down once Chavez Jr. went up in weight you saw the skill difference and most importantly you saw the heart difference he's a front runner if he's not in the lead in a fight with an advantage he's gonna find a way out so those factors came together to give Anderson Silva a chance which is why Luke on Friday I said look with Chavez's history of quitting if things get hard could this be more competitive than we realized? Now, at the end of the day, I still leaned with everybody else and said, it might be, but look, Chavez Jr. is still going to win a decision here, right? No, not right. This is where you got to give Silva credit. His footwork was incredible. His angles, he was able to do the Anderson Silva tricks of, of calling them on and, and ducking out of the way. But the best and biggest surprise was that he disarmed. Yes, Chavez was smaller, but he's still a very large man with a big frame. He disarmed and gave Chavez reason not to actually fight, to basically roll the dice, go to the scorecards, get on the microphone and say, oh, I thought it was a draw. Like that, like the fact that he did that, Luke, even with Chavez's history of quitting, yes, both things can be true. It's a dark day for Junior and a bright day, to your point, in almost like a retirement tour. Give, you know, bring him his flowers. Anderson, I, I made you a painting, okay? This is for you. Let's give the guy his flowers, Luke. That's an incredible, I mean, what a freaking incredible performance, all right? I mean, seriously, like all things considered, what a surprising, heartfelt, emotional, amazing performance. Let me say a couple things here, BC. First, uh, actually, a couple questions, if I may. First question. Does a win like this for Anderson Silva make us want to rethink these 
boxing MMA crossover sideshows. Because here's the thing. We went into this being like, oh, the MMA sadness where all our heroes are going to get knocked the fuck out tour continues. And then Silva goes in there, trained hard, quite obvious, or at least trained enough, and looked great to your point. He looked like he was five years younger. I mean, it was unbelievable how much how much better he looked. And then you could see the happiness on his face. And look at how we're talking about him here. Like, obviously, this thing took on way more gravity than skeptics like me and many others out there thought it ever could. So do we need to rethink some of these crossovers? And two, BC, forget about maybe him fighting Roy Jones. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe that won't. Does this make you wonder what would be possible if MMA fighters, yes, they were locked into their UFC contracts, but they had the Ali Act protections on the boxing side so that Roy Jones, Anderson Silva crossover could have happened years ago. What could that have been? What could that have meant? Have you rethought any of these things? Yeah. I wondered if, you know, if Dana had gotten Zufa boxing off the ground earlier as a spinoff of the UFC and basically a, okay, my guys in the UFC, some of them want to try out boxing. Some of these fights we could make with boxers like Mayweather McGregor, like Silva versus Roy Jones. They're appealing to fans. They could be oddly competitive. Let's give them a space to do that where they're not violating their contract or violating the sport and creating some kind of ripple. You wonder if that could have been a success and maybe Dana missed part of that. You also wonder whether this spices up, which was the original point, the whole the whole bubble right now of this Paul Brothers celebrity boxing thing. There's, there's a few differences here. Like one, Anderson Silva still got it, meaning he still got something. But two, he's a lot bigger, naturally, than Tyrone Woodley and Jake or, I'm sorry, and Ben Askren. So he's much bigger frame to be able to compete against the Paul brothers who in boxing terms, in terms of weight, are in that window between light heavyweight and cruiserweight. They're big boys, you know what I mean? Like, they've got a certain level of talent that they're building on, but they're big boys and decent athletes to begin it. You know, the first thing I said when I went to Puerto Rico last month, Luke, to interview Logan Paul, and I ran into Jake, I was like, Jake, you know, congrats on your Showtime deal. I know you're looking for an opponent. Bro, you should really look at Anderson Silva because I, I was meaning, like, there's a potential for a competitive fight there. He's a lot bigger than the blown-up smaller ex-MMA welterweights. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's got a, a much more adaptable game to boxing, didn't rely on wrestling and, and you know and things like that. Yeah, great kickboxer, but has hands, has the natural sort of boxing movement. And again, I didn't even expect against Chavez, like we said, that he could adapt footwork-wise that easily. I mean, look, he looked like a... He looked like a, a a pro boxer ready to do like Roy Jones level stuff. He really did. I know it's against Chavez. We got to temper our expectations, but in the realm of this celebrity bubble, for as long as it lasts, I feel like Anderson Silva can be a player. I feel like him against either Paul brother is actually like a kind of kind of kind of want to see that. I mean, am I crazy, Luke? People think I'm just on here to bang drums for shitty things that they don't want, but yeah. it's you know, and I'm trying. My liver's clean from gas station food. Doesn't mean I'm going to stop watching gas station fights if they excite me, Luke. I'm trying. I'm trying to be less of an asshole, believe it or not, these days about these crossover things because one, it's like yeah, a lot of them are, if not nearly all of them, are not for me. Like I don't necessarily enjoy it, but sometimes some people do seem to get some enjoyment out of this. And honestly, watching Silva do what he did, I had a moment there. I was like. You know, we need to be, we, we don't want to give in to promoters trying to sell us bullshit, right? That's, that's the thing we don't want to do. But at the same time, watching Silva so happy and honestly so fulfilled and doing, man, this guy has been pulling rabbits out of combat sports hats for 15 fucking years and he's still doing it at age 46. Are you kidding me? It's not even in this goddamn natural sport. It's just unbelievable. Like there has to be something to be said about that's a real, authentic experience he's having. It's one we're having. It carries some significance. It does help him 
I, I'm just trying to navigate the space between accepting promoter bullshit and then being so so uh, c- cynical that you never allow the sun to ever shine in a little bit. And I thought, I thought maybe, maybe after this weekend, um, more of the latter I- I- is called for, uh, BC. That, that, that's all. That's where my head is at. Final question about carnival bullshit because we got important stuff to get into in the show. Yes. Uh, both Paul brothers keep talking about fighting Mike Tyson. Would that care, would you would it get oh, you to God. care since Mike Tyson started this new sort of celebrity revolution here? I mean, I don't KSI and Logan I'm, Paul did again. I'm not but. I'm not going to be the hater. I'm not, but I'll just be honest. Like that shit's not for me. Like I'm not interested. Okay. I, I, I don't I don't to be honest with you, BC. I don't know what I'm interested in in this crossover stuff. But I'm not interested in that. That's not for me. I can't. I can't. Get, Anderson I can't Silva, that. Mike Tyson can't get you up in the morning either. Now that's a little different. That's a little different. I might be. I might find a way to entertain that. Um, that's a little different. Certainly, I would say at a bare minimum, I'm perfectly okay. How interested I am, I don't know. But how, how would I be okay with Anderson Silva, Roy Jones Jr. at this juncture? Sure, no problem. I don't have any problem with that at all. So. Um, Good, good for it. Do it. Let's say it, dude. Good for Anderson Silva. Good for him, man. I'm glad to see a guy like that who gave us so many magic moments. He got to have one of his own making and certainly one for himself as well. And no one is more richly deserved than he. And can we do um, a 10-second oh. pour out for Chavez Sr., who won that exhibition <laughs> against Camacho Jr., who was younger and bigger? But, Luke, do you see the shape that Sr. came in? He weighed like 143. Dude, Bro. he looked like he at 58. Are you kidding me? Bro, like, he's the he's the Mexican. I don't know if this even makes sense. He's like the Mexican Jack Lalane of boxing or something. Like, holy what cra- a like, fucking I Iron mean, Man! The crowd went nuts. He won. You know, he quote unquote won the fight. He called Canelo up to be in his corner. It was like kind of pro wrestling y, but even yeah. just the basics of of him being sober for that many years and donating his purse to sobriety or to charities involving sobriety and looking that great. Like, I don't want to see him continue because you know, these guys are our life. Even Mike Tyson, even though we're talking Mike Tyson, Logan, I don't want to see Tyson keep fighting. I mean, like I love, I care about the guy too much, but Holy crap. I didn't expect senior to look that great, man. Good for him, dude. I mean, when you're a, a, just a legend like that, he he can't stop. He can't stop being impressive. You know, he's just he's just one of those guys. Uh, but you're right. At 59 years old, maybe one and done is okay on this kind of thing. All right, let's go to point number three because on Showtime on Saturday night was another boxing event, and I got to say, it delivered in certain ways in terms of the action. But there's some broader questions about it. So Jamal Charlo wins. A really wide unanimous decision win against Juan Macias Montiel. It was, I forget the scores exactly, but they were not close. They gave Montiel a couple of rounds here or there. But BC, I said this on Twitter and I stand by it. If you look at the scores between Charlo and Derevyanchenko, it was closer. Yes, Derevyanchenko, a much better boxer than Montiel in every kind of way. But, but, one, Montiel totally uh, overperforming relative to expectations. And two, an incredible chin on the guy. So the third thing I'd say is, dude, there were several portions of that fight where he had Charlo hurt, visibly wobbling on his feet. In terms of that, BC, in terms of that. No, 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 dude. I'm telling you. I think it was this. I I thought he got him to the body in consecutive rounds where... I thought the body shot was an impact, and it mixed with the fact that maybe Charlo didn't expect he was going to have to use that much stamina on this fight. And yes, it got a little, like, you know, murky, but I don't think he was wobbled at all. No, he was wobbled. I'll go back and find the round. But at a bare minimum, there were poor. I thought that Montiel did more to hurt Charlo 
physically hurt him than Derevyanchenko did. Not he's not yes. the boxer Derevyanchenko is and never will be. I want to be clear about that. But just in terms of the damage he was able to lay on Charlo, I was actually blown away by how much was there. So so what is the right takeaway? Are the Charlo haters feasting off this result or is there more to the story about the context here? I hate to always tell you the truth is somewhere in the middle and it, it usually is. A couple things here more entertaining than it should have been, than we thought it would be, and that's because Montiel turned in a Homer Simpson performance. Basically, look, he fought like an asshole for the first six rounds. Let's be honest. Oh, yeah, he did. Switching stances for no reason, celebrating when he didn't do anything, but let's give him credit. Incredible chin and motor, and then just didn't go away. Yes, there were two moments in there. I gave him two rounds. I think it was eight and nine. I could be wrong there looking back, where I thought he hurt Charlo to the body in both rounds. He was coming on with combinations, and suddenly you're like, could this be a disaster for Charlo? Now, to Jamal's credit, he bit down, he outworked him late, his jab in the first... I mean, first half of the fight, Charlo looked like a killer. His jab was awesome. I think the biggest negative that we can put on Jamal Charlo from this, although he 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 avoided disaster, he put the ribbon on it at the end, he won the fight, was he was way too willing to brawl with Montiel, Luke, yes. when things got surprisingly close. And I think that's because... From the, through the first half of the fight, he just didn't respect Montiel because he wasn't landing anything. He was kind of being a clown. And I think Charlo got to a point where it's like, okay, I'm the home hometown guy. This is a Juneteenth celebrate. Like, let me put the knockout on him. And some nights, some guys are just going to bite down on that mouthpiece and you can't get him out of there. I thought Charlo should have made the adjustment back to the jab, maybe even played it safe. I mean, it's rare, it's rare, Luke, that you're going to criticize somebody for not playing it safe, right? I thought that that was maybe the biggest takeaway. But... The totality of the performance does hint at certain negative things. Now, some people are going to take this pretty serious. You know our guy, Luke, Phil McCogan? You know the guy we love? Former yes. uh, L.A. Chargers wide receiver coach. He's going to be an NFL head coach one day, by the way. I'll tell you that much. Uh, he, he slid in my DMs. He's like, is this kind of like a Nate Diaz thing where if they fought forever, you know, Montiel would have won by knockout? And yeah, that might be the case, Luke. It, it, it may have been the case in this one. That's not a, a, a huge sort of ringing endorsement and i also got a lot of people sliding in my dms going hey bc that comment that rant you made about how charlo's the perfect canelo uh opponent how's that looking now so let, let's stay here for a second Luke. yeah hold on okay? yeah because because definitely one of the criticisms was if you can't finish this guy off at 160 what do you think you're going to do at 168 so look there's a couple things here uh it's unfortunate and it does go down as a negative against charlo what i'm about to say I don't think fighters get up at the same level for an opponent, should they, across the board, whether they're fighting a stay busy, a mandatory, or a four-belt unification undisputed fight. Should they get up the same, train the same, be the same level of intensity? Yes, the great ones are. Canelo, whether he's fighting Yildirim in a stadium or anybody, he comes ready. Luke, but if you're mowing your lawn, right, and you're just mowing it, or you're mowing it on a Saturday morning because you got company coming over in two hours... Yeah, you're probably going to step up your game and then round out the edges and make it look kind of nice. What I'm saying here is it goes down as a knock against Charlo, but I don't think he got up for this fight like he got up for the Derevchenko fight, which was a pay-per-view. It was sort of a defining fight of his run at middleweight. Again, that's not a good thing. I think he had so much success over the first six rounds. He's like, man, I'm just going to finish this guy. He didn't expect it to be a tough night at the office. So I don't think we saw the best of him, Luke, in the same way when I said, hey, Caleb Plant, Really quick hands, can box. Maybe he could be potential crypt tonight for Canelo. And then he went out there against Caleb Truex, Luke. We saw the fight. We're like, oh, 
you know, again, good luck, BC, trying to talk people into potential Canelo opponents. Luke, I also think that might not have been the very best. I, I think there's a difference. Now, again, when you're elite and you're a great one, you should be the same against everybody. That's the, that's the consistency. Same thing with you and I in the show. Whether it's like to preview Connor Dustin 3 or a random Wednesday show, yeah, we should be as prepared and energetic and ready. We hope to be. Sometimes that's not the case. I think Jamal Charlo is a lot better than that version we saw on Saturday against Montiel. I also think Caleb Plant's a lot better than that version we saw against Caleb Truex, who he thought he was probably going to finish him. Truex bit down and made it a little bit harder. I think in both cases, if they are getting trained and ready for Canelo, you're going to see a better version. So is that an excuse? No, but I do think it's part of a reality. Now, the other half to this argument, I saw a great tweet from Stephen Breadman Edwards. You know him, Luke. He's uh, mm -hmm. used to be Julian J. Rock Williams' trainer. One of the smartest guys in the game. Let's read this real quick. It's hard to have a truly great peak fighting every eight to nine months in your prime. It's not ring rust. It's simply not fighting enough. It's not every six months anymore. Very few all-time greats or Hall of Famers will be from the 2008 Olympic class to present. They simply don't fight enough to sharpen their skills. Look, I hmm. thought this was a brilliant statement about modern boxing or MMA today. As the, particularly in boxing, as the stars start to make legitimate money, they tend to fight less. We tend to only see the big names twice a year. We hadn't seen Jamal Charlo since last September, right? It's been a long time. What that creates is if you have an off night at the office where you're a little bit flat, when we're only seeing you twice a year, Luke, then you're only as good as your last performance. We can tend to overvalue or sometimes overrate people based on one performance. I think that's actually true. Do you know what Canelo is doing right right now outside of putting his career in his own hands in terms of the promotion and being able to fight as as active as he wants. The fact that we've seen Canelo almost like six times in the past year and a half. Look, he's so sharp every time out because he's fighting every three, four months. Remember when, Can when, when Conor McGregor had that insane run in 2015 and 16 where he exceeded expectations and found out how great he could be and hasn't been able to equal that again? He was fighting every three to four months. Now, that kind of grind will catch up with you, especially if you go through some battles or just the, the wear and tear of training. But that's how the old timers used to do it. Now, they did that, Luke, because a lot of times financially they needed to. But that's why people didn't get down in the past if a guy took a easy stay busy because they were fighting four or five times a year. Remember when Oscar De La Hoya before the partying and drinking fought like five times as an elite welterweight in like 97 mm. and 98 in a calendar mm. year. That's the best stretch of his career. Activity does mean something. Am I excusing Jamal Charlo for the fact that it was a little bit of a subdued performance in which he was in some ways lucky to hang on? I'm not making excuses. I am telling you those factors are part of it. And if Jamal Charlo is fighting Canelo three months from now, I think we're going to get a more dialed in better version. I think that's just the reality of life, Luke. Let me play devil's advocate one more time because I, I I agree with your analysis. I just want to hear what you have to say. How do you explain Floyd Mayweather taking huge stretches off of his career and more or less not losing a step? Well, one, he's an alien. Two, <laughs> he's he doesn't take time off. He's in the gym like all year in the middle of the night all the time. The, you know, the, but he wasn't rare, actively Luke, competing. He was not actively Luke, competing. Rare is the fighter in combat sports who can tank one to two years off and come back and look just as great. When Sugar Ray, Ray Leonard did it against Hagler, we were like, holy crap. When Dominic Cruz did it against Mizugaki and then against uh, Dillashaw, Dillashaw, we were like, holy crap, right? I mean, it's it's rare. Dude, it is. Let me, let me just say this in defense of Jamal Charlo. Listen, that was a good-ass fight. 
That was a fun fight. I mean, if you were expecting like a walk in the park, okay, you were surprised. But you can't say you were bored. I mean, it was very good. The other part was, I think uh, this was the sense I had, BC. Through the first six rounds, I felt like Charlo was really close to a finish. Especially right around that, I think it was the sixth round where he had him on the ropes. I thought the referee was going to step in almost at any moment there. But he just did enough to hang on. And then I think Charlo was like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to get this guy out of here. And then he stood in front of Montiel, and Montiel began to walk or, uh, Montiel began to walk him down a little bit. And then they just had a firefight in the middle, and that's when Charlo began to take a lot of shots. I mean, some of the things that Charlo, you can say positively about him, is like, dude, he took a lot of punches. I said it on Friday's show. He also has a good chin. You can't lose sight of it. You saw some of that there. Also, here's another part in defense of Charlo. Dude, he hit Montiel with every big punch he has, and you could see the sweat flying off of his head in HD every time Charlo landed on him. People must have been getting sprayed in the in the first few rows outside of the ring. The kid just didn't go away. It wasn't like Charlo like had low output, BC. It wasn't like he had low volume. It wasn't like he was content to play it safe. No, he was doing the exact opposite. It's just a relative to expectations about what he should have done. And I saw someone tweeting on Saturday night being like, you know, this was like Golovkin where he had like an okay performance, but then demolished the guy. Everyone just kind of forgets, you know, because Triple G would just lay him on the canvas and the fight's over. This one went the full distance. So Charlo didn't get that 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 uh, ability for people to get the amnesia about it in the end. So here's my only takeaway. I actually thought it was fun. I don't think in any way I changed my opinion about Charlo. I saw the Derevianchenko fight. I saw how well he boxed. I saw how smart and tactical and disciplined he was in that. You didn't see that necessarily, at least all the parts of that, on Saturday night. But I will say, BC, the one thing I took away from that was he doesn't necessarily have great opponent options at 160 even now. I don't know how much at 168 he can be the kind of force that maybe... Well... I, I, I'll I've, say I'm not saying he won't. I'm not saying he won't. I'm saying I don't. I'm not as confident about it as I was before. Yeah, you're not as confident that the power would carry up if he's unable to get that guy out of there. And again, Montiel, you know, bit down and came to 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 plow through, and we'll give him that credit. But I, I don't think that's wrong. And look, you know, there were people that took shots at the way Charlo in the post-fight interview when he was correctly teed up by Jim Gray about the potential options and, the, and you know, would you move to 168? was like, no, I, I want to stay right here. I want the other champions. I want Andre. I want, uh, or he said, I want Golovkin. And then he kind of referenced Andre without saying his name. I didn't necessarily love that either, Luke. I, I would have loved him to say, you know, I, I'm ready for everyone. I, you know, if it's 168, if I can get Canelo, I'll do it now. But I think Jamal Charles is going to learn from this, certainly that, you know, you got to be, you got to be hundred percent every fight. I mean, you got to, you know, you got to be dialed into the utmost degree but did you learn from the first six rounds, at least again, against not maybe not an elite opponent, Montiel, that with that heavy jab, with that footwork, with the with the way he was working in the uppercut, I mean, I still saw the foundation of everything that's great about Jamal Charlo. Yes. I still saw a guy who's going to do big things. Yes. But now he's going to have to prove even more to us, like you mentioned. If it's if 68 is in his future, he's going to have to prove that the power is going to have an impact there. Sure, for sure. Yeah, and again, I, if you watch the Derevianchenko fight, it's hard to walk away and be like, oh, this guy can't box. It's just that I don't know if he took Montiel lightly. I don't know if Montiel is just way better than we think. Certainly he's a lot more durable than we had previously understood him or or whatever. But um, did you get the best of Jamal Charlo on Saturday night? No. But I'm not ready to be like, oh, well, you know, ah, you see, uh, the the we, we pulled back the curtain and here's the truth. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily his best night, but it was an exciting night, I think. All right. 
While uh, Charlo couldn't necessarily get the finish, I'll tell you who did on Saturday night. Jeez, I wow, <laughs> the monster <laughs> is real, folks. <clears throat> Let me say something. Brian Campbell, however long ago, was like, "You got to check this guy out." Because remember, I, I hadn't been covering boxing for a long time, trying to play catch up, and BC's been giving me like some helpful tips about where to look and where not to. One guy he has never wavered about is Naoya Inoue, the monster. The 118 pound killer. So he fights Michael Dasmarinas, if I'm pronouncing his last name right, and with three t- three different times sits him down inside, I think, three rounds with liver shots. That l- I mean, that dude's going to be pissing blood for a week if he's lucky, BC. Okay, let me ask this question Where does Inouye belong? Part one on the <clears throat> pound for pound ranking. And number two, BC. He's got all of the talent to be a star in this market, but does he have everything else that goes along with becoming one? Well, he's he's in the right place now. What I mean by that, this was his second fight since joining forces with new co-promoter Top Rank, which got him to ESPN. And obviously, the key part about that is is you know exposure. They can look. Let's give ESPN credit. They put out a half-hour show, Luke, which is basically you know a bunch of talking heads explaining to you who the monster is and why he's great. I mean, they had all the the boxing writers of note in there. Look, they also had Nitro from the American Gladiators in there. I don't know if you saw that. I don't understand why he was in that show, but it was interesting just the same. Um, the whole point is, in you know where he used to reside? He used to reside on grainy international streams. You'd have to wake up early in the morning to see him fight in Japan or whatever. Same thing where Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez who got to the point where he became the pound-for-pound best in the sport after Mayweather initially retired. The problem with Chocolatito was we didn't get him on American TV when he finally got picked up by HBO and became a featured player, was matched with Triple G and all those big fights, until he was actually a little bit past his prime. You know, now he's had some wins, big wins and big losses in that window. The good news is, at 27 or whatever he is, we're, we're seeing Naoa Inoue in his absolute prime. So can he become a star? Well... He, he only will where he is now, at ESPN, where the casual fan can get explained who he is. And I think, Luke, he does have a style where the language barrier means nothing. Now, he doesn't speak English. He's not particularly interesting on the microphone. And I say that because he's very, very overly respectful, which we see a lot of athletes that come from Japan. And, and you know, damn right. Let, let, let's shout that out. Uh, but, you know, he's not a guy that's going to come out there and talk trash. But he's got the look of a star and the fact that he's now in his third division, the fact that he was willing and wanting to fight for world titles in like his fifth, sixth, seventh fight, I mean, he's a killer. His power carries up, and the absolute best part about him, Luke, is he's just not some slugger or just not some slick boxer. He's everything. It seemed like he wanted to make a point in this fight to go to the body and and only focus on that and show how destructive he is there. Well, you know, he passed that test with flying colors, this division at 118 has got some big-time players. We know, and we can get into it later in the show, that now it's going to be Nonino Donaire against um, Jean-Riel Casimero in an all-Filipino unification bout at this weight class. They'll be fighting for the other two belts that the Monster doesn't have. Inoue has two of them at 118. We're already talking about the winners fighting each other, and it seems like politically and network-wise, somehow everyone's confident that's going to happen, so that's great news. Uh, this is great news for this division and for being able to continue to watch this guy in big fights because he's got, what, 20 pro fights and the amount of high-ranked champions he's fought up to this point in each of the divisions he's been to. I mean, he is going after it, Luke. 
again, can he be a star with the language barrier and all that? He's going to have a shot at doing that. I'll tell you that much. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe not, maybe not a triple G level star, but, but he's going to get pretty far if he keeps knocking people out just like this. I'll say this, man. We have to give him credit where credit is due. I feel like the ESPN top rank partnership has been a very, very good one. Right. I mean, look at what they've been able to do with Lomachenko. Yes, he lost to Lopez, but look at what they did with Lopez. Okay, he went to Triller, but he's coming right back. They reworked his deal. They were able to put, again, that Lomachenko versus Lopez fight was on ESPN for free was such a, I know they probably lost money relative to what they could have made if it had been on pay-per-view, but they put it on free TV and look what it did. I feel like Tyson Fury about being with top rank and ESPN pay-per-view has been uh, a huge win. This is a different challenge because even Lomachenko speaks a little bit of English and, you know, he had that really unbelievable amateur record that, you know, sort of unheard of and, and everything else. But I'll say this, dude, you listen to the way that Andre Ward and Timothy Bradley talk about in a way they do it in reverence. They do it in hushed tones. And even they you can hear them whistling like Ooh, or, or, you know, or remarking that even they are impressed by what this guy is out here doing, the same kinds of things that they did for Lomachenko when he was sort of coming through and like he was the Matrix and all this other stuff. To your point, BC, the winner uh, of the Casemiro versus Donaire fight, maybe they can make some kind of crossover for the full-on unification. There's politics involved, but who knows? I think uh, Donaire was in attendance at this fight, ringside, if I'm Both not mistaken. Casemiro was there yeah. as well. They both got interviewed on the... Uh, by the way, I give a shout-out to ESPN. They did a... They went off the air after the fight on ESPN or ESPN2, whatever they were on, but they went to the Plus. They did a full post-show with interviews with everybody. It was, it was very well done. Okay, very good. So, I, you know, I, I don't know exactly what kind of fights they're going to make and how much the politics will be involved or whatever. Uh, and again, you know, being overly respectful and, and, not, and the language barrier. And there's a, kind of a cultural barrier to an extent as well. But, dude, he's got everything else in spades. If you guys out there, especially for MMA fans who don't like want to watch long, super technical boxing fights where they're, you know, it's kind of close and there's not a whole lot of damage happening, here within a way, you get athleticism, you get ridiculous power, and you get a lot of that. It's not Lomachenko footwork, but I mean, the kind of footwork that can dazzle, that can blow you away, that anybody who likes combat sports can immediately recognize as impactful and powerful. He's got all of it and. I really think that that the wind is at top ranks back with the with the push from ESPN. So I I don't know how far he can go. BC does he belong real quickly in a way in the pound for pound discussion? Where, where is he in that totality? He was number two for me coming in. I mean, yeah. some people have had him number one in the past before Canelo in the past year kind of became this version of Canelo, but. Where where else are you going to put him at then too? In my eyes, and I'm sorry, like that's no disrespect to Terence Crawford or Errol Spence. I think Terrence Crawford, if he if he was able to get more big name welterweights in the ring, could become number one even. But you know, Spence and Crawford are right there. I think a new here's the thing. Like, look, final point on this. It's not that this is like the again we had we went through the Chocolatito experience as boxing fans. We've went through other experiences where like the hardcores are like, dude, if you're not waking up at three in the morning to watch this guy fight in hung you know in Hungary, you're not you know you're not a real fan. It's, it's sometimes people can be dismissive of like that foreign guy from the small weight classes. But if you actually take the taste test of Inoue, it's impossible to, to, to disrespect the complete game, the fact that he raises his game when he moves up in weight, the fact that he always fights the best. I mean, there's there's nothing bad to say against him. And that Donaire fight, which was the fight of the year in 2019, if you haven't watched that, please go back and watch 12 rounds of classic theater. We learned, Luke, everything we needed to learn about how great the monster actually is because he got his nose and right eye broken early in that fight 
and had to box the rest of the way. And, oh, by the way, floored Donaire in the final round with a body shot. Like, we learned what's inside of him that night. He is absolutely the real deal. Fair enough. All right, let's go to the last and final of our five topics, BC. There's a lot that happened over the course of the weekend. A lot of different ways you could go. We've pointed out four of them, but there's probably a fifth for you. What other combat athlete stood out to you this weekend and why? Well, this guy stood out to me because he was fun as heck. If anybody caught the co-main event in Showtime Championship Boxing on Saturday night, it was a lightweight duel between rising Mexican slugger, the pit bull, Isak Cruz, the 23-year-old, against the old-time veteran, the, the all-action Mexican Arturo Gatti himself, Francisco Vargas. Only, Luke, we didn't see the, the bull come out of uh, Bandito, Francisco Vargas. Instead, we saw kind of a veteran boxing performance, which was surprising. But what isn't surprising is that Isak Cruz is must-see TV every time out. Luke, here's the most disrespectful, respectful thing I'll say about Isak Cruz. You ready for this? I texted you this Saturday night. He fights like an asshole, Luke. I mean, really, he fights like an asshole. He, he has no no care about defense or telegraphing his punches. He basically does a poor man's Mike Tyson style of ducking in and throwing hellfire fury with each hook. He leaves himself open to be countered, and he's basically like, stand with me and find out who's got the bigger huevos. Yes, an elite boxer maybe one day is going to expose him. But until that happens, Luke, he is so fun to watch. He makes mistakes, but he makes even bigger uh, uh, power shots. It's going to be fun in this lightweight division, which has so many fun young names for this guy to be an opponent against in a big-time title fight. Because, you know, is there an MMA equivalent to, like, a John Lineker or somebody like that? Like, maybe. But he just takes reckless chances and just basically is like, you know, as you said, uh, how many times does he knock people out in, in, you know, in a bar parking lot to prepare this style for, for this level of professional boxing? It's so fun to watch. Yeah, and I'll say this. Eventually, someone's going to KO this guy stiff because of all the mistakes he, made, he makes. Excuse me. But until then, he's going to have fun fights where he probably mows people down until that day. So get it while you can because right now, uh, the, you know, the cakes coming off the griddle are pretty hot. I will add, BC, and this is something we didn't even pay attention to on Friday. I got to give it to him. This might be the best knockout in any combat sport all weekend. How about my man Gabe Rosado? Holy shit. One punch sends, I'm going to try and pronounce his name. You can get it better for me. Bektamir Malik Uzayev. Did I get halfway right? Malkuziev, I believe, is the pronunciation. Everybody just calls him Beck the Bully. I don't know. We don't have access to the footage, but it's all over Instagram. He one punch KOs this guy who just walks right into the punch, sends him face first, ass up, through the ropes. One hitter quitter. Todd Grisham and Sergio Mora on the DAZN call got it perfectly right with the way that they called it. Just an absolute amazing, amazing shot. Here, in the words of badlefthook.com, great site, by the way, Scott Christ writes, Here's a veteran who is not done. BC, at 35 years of age, the Philly vet you knew wasn't maybe the best of himself anymore. And to your point, Bechtemir was expected to go in there and win this, I think, pretty comfortably. In fact, I think Rosado winning, certainly even by KO, was like a plus 800. So if you bet on Rosado in a ballsy way, you got paid on Saturday night. But that one punch he landed was absolutely phenomenal i really enjoyed it and he bought himself at least one maybe two more big fights with this 
Oh, huge. So, Gaff, do we have... I, I took this out of Have You Seen This Shit. I thought we had the video. DAZN tweeted it out. Do we have that quickly before I break down some analysis? If you've not seen it, for the folks out there, I know BC seen it. I'm saying for the audience's sake, it's spectacular. All right, we don't have it. Apologies out there. If you haven't seen it, check out the DAZN the Twitter account. But here's the deal. Gabriel Rosado is like that dude, that old grizzled veteran who's got 13 pro losses, never got the promotional push, yet so many times has like deserved the upset over the bigger name, but kind of got screwed. Even against Danny Jacobs a year and a half ago, he kind of got screwed by split decision. Luke, he's been in there against, like, he was the first guy that stood up to Gennady Golovkin and, like, really gave him trouble before getting stopped. He's he's just an old-school guy who's always in great shape, never stops trying to get better, trained by Freddie Roach, but this was supposed to be, like, a step-up Beck the Bully showcase. Yes, there were hipsters going, hey, I wonder if I should throw some money on Gabe Rosado because he's such a slick boxer that it's tough to look great against. But Beck the Bully is this southpaw dude who's got this weird sort of caveman style. He walks you down and he lives up to his nickname. Only Beck got way too excited is a good word. Maybe he didn't respect Gabe Rosado's power coming back. Rosado's never been a puncher even at 54. And we saw Luke, this was almost like... Uh, Pacquiao Mar- uh, Marquez four. I think it was how they yeah. described it on the broadcast, which yeah. is which is right on. Beck overcommitted coming forward, and it was the perfect one shot counter shot to like the side of the neck, right below the ear, and he fell face first, knocked out cold, a flash knockout, but knocked out cold for like two three seconds before he sort of revived himself. What a performance! And Jaime Munguia in the main event, Luke. Rolled over Machi Sled or no, no, the replacement, sorry. Uh, so Zarameta, whatever his name is. Yeah, Zer- Camille Zarameta. And he looked good doing it, but, you know, we all want to see Munguia uh, step up in competition. I mean, in a real world, Munguia would have been fighting Charlo on Saturday or fighting right. Golovkin, for that matter. Right. But, uh, you know, Rosado called out Munguia afterwards, and if that's the direction they're going to go, let's give that fight to Gabe. That's going to be a fun fight to see. You love to see when the crusty old veteran who never stops trying to perform gets a big win like this. And again, all the credit in the world to Anderson Silva, you know, but imagine, and he's 47. I mean, it's a very different thing. I'm just saying a lot of times an older guy might go in there and get some kind of moral victory or even just, you know, get the win, some kind of shocking upset. How many times do they face plant the other guy with a one hitter quitter? Maybe the best one hitter quitter of the weekend. That's pretty fucking rare. And Gabe Rosado did exactly that. It is a spectacular, spectacular KO. All right. With that, BC, it's time now for not us to ask each other questions, but for the audience to ask us. It's time for DMs from Dogs. There we have it. There's the animation. Very good. All right, BC, from Dan Abs or Dana BBZ, whatever that means. Two of three judges couldn't even spell Gleason Tebow's name properly, <laughs> referring to the scoring sheets. Does this show how careless they are about their job? Is that true? I've not seen that. I have not seen this reference, but uh, it seems to be on point as we broke down, uh, you know, in the aftermath last Friday of that PFL upset when T-Bow beat Rory McDonald by split decision. Yeah, I don't think this, again, this was corruption. This was just sort of not being good at your job and not recognizing what you're seeing. And unfortunately, Luke, we see that a lot in boxing. But to be honest, we see that more in boxing in the hey, was that on the up and up type of thing? Like, you know, why? Okay, this is what you get when you go to Texas. Or, you know, look, let's be honest here, Luke. I don't know if you saw the opening bout in Showtime's triple header where uh, Aaron Alameda. Between Leo and, uh, what's his face? Angelo Leo. I mean, that was a fun fight, competitive. Alameda fought his ass off combinations. He was backing Leo up, and Leo's the aggressive sort of, you know, 
power puncher who normally does that to people. And guess what we got? We got a 118-110 for Leo, which is like, we, we, we see that a lot in boxing, Luke, and we go, oh, come on, again with this shit. In MMA, it seems to be more of like, why is this person judging? Because, like, do they even understand the rules? I think that's a much bigger problem, corruption side for boxing, but people just not being trained enough or shouldn't be in this position, depending on what state the MMA card is in across the board. Look, people don't want UFC or PFL or Bellator to have their own officials because of the idea that, well, if they're, you know, if you're paying them, you can also corrupt them. But wouldn't you rather take that gamble if you can guarantee that you're getting people that actually know what they're doing here than some, you know, goofball state commission? Yeah, I wish there were a, a uh, I mean, well, here's the thing, though. Like, New Jersey isn't, there have been bad, like, wasn't there a Paul Williams decision back in the day in Jersey that was so bad that the commission reviewed it and they were like, holy shit, you guys did a really fucking bad job. And I think they removed those people and whatnot. Like, typically. Yeah, against Arislandi Lara, Luke. Yeah. So typically, Jersey either gets a ride or when they don't, they do something about it. So, like, Jersey's, I'll say this of all the problem states, I wouldn't put Jersey really close to the top of the list at all. I'd put Florida or Texas or, you know, whatever, Mississippi, whatever the fuck, some, some podunk place that doesn't have a very active commission. Um, Jersey's really not that case. I just feel like they just got it wrong. They just did not do a great job at it, which is going to happen. Um, I did not see that they uh, about the, the scoring sheets. They might have spelled it wrong, although that could have been handed to them like someone else could have filled out that part and then given them the sheet. So it looked like they fucked it up versus multiple judges. So in a lot of ways I could have gone. Uh, all right. At underscore Mitch Clay with countries like USA, Brazil, Russia and Japan being the original hotbeds for MMA. Only Russia only now is a hotbed for Russia. Russia was not a hotbed before. What are some of the other countries that are breeding the next generation of talent for the sport? BC, it's got to be what? Australia, New Zealand, Mexico? Nigeria? Nigeria is, I I, I mean, that whole African continent feels like it's just completely underutilized in the most profound of ways, you know? You Um, know, I I mean, shout out to Modestus Bukalkis. You know, you could say, you know, it's about time Lithuania Lithuania. makes a run, right? You know, yeah, what about, uh, we've talked about it before. Uh, here's the other one, too. Like, dude, Germany is the largest economy in Europe. And I was thinking about this. If you had to make, like, a like a UK MMA Hall of Fame, and UK obviously has got a big economy as well, but, you know, the UK Hall of Fame for MMA is going to have a lot better entrance in it than the German Hall of Fame. Like, Germany, they're barely scratching the surface, I think, on the kind of talent that they could produce. France is the same way. Dude, you look at France's soccer team. You look at their rugby team. Man, they got it's just unfucking their judo team. Like their judo team out of France is insanely good. They they're just underperforming, man. They're majorly what about underperforming. India, Luke. There's a shit ton of people in India. India's another good and they have a tradition of wrestling, amateur wrestling, and they love pro wrestling there from the market side of things as I understand it. You know, we're just waiting for them to come around, but someone's I mean, got to go in there. Look at you, and like Luke. Prime, you're prime a product goal. of India. You're a, you're an expert in your field. You know, I, I I don't know that I would have a whole lot to say about the world of of Indian sovereign life. territory. Uh, my ass, Luke. You're Indian, and that's cool with me. Okay, brother. Hey, listen, I wouldn't be opposed to it if I was. I just think it's incorrect to say that. But you know, BC. The answer is, man. There's a lot of places. A lot. That's what I'm talking about. Every time a country that didn't have a champion before now gets one at a high level. Uh, you got to celebrate it because that's going to spread more and more and more and more, and it's going to make MMA a lot better over the long haul. All right. Speaking of your other your other home country, if I was the 
Armenian Athletic Association, Luke, I would call up Coach Edmund and I would put a lot of money into into finding the, you know, finding the next Tarverdian, finding the next um uh Martyrosian, right? I mean there there's you know that that's a culture with, with some hands, Luke. Victor Chinian. Mean, you put some guys to sleep in in some bar fights, you know? I mean, it's Ca- Carl Parisian. Bad, yeah, that's a badass culture, Luke. Gokor Chavichian. yeah, dude. The Armenians Respe- are tough Manuk fuckers, man. Ak- Akopian of the L.A. Times and boxing scene. my guy, you know. Yeah, War yeah, yeah. Armenia, all right. Uh, since a referee has this is from Kenji Kish. Since a referee has the discretion to stand up a fight on the ground if there's a period of inactivity. Do you think there should be a referee discretion to put a fight on the ground if there is a period of inactivity standing? Is closed guard the best position to put a fight on the ground? And if so, how should they determine who gets top and bottom? BC, usually when it's bunk bed, somebody calls it. What do you think about this situation? If a fight is boring on the feet, then we put it on the ground. Hell no, yeah. Luke. Hell no. No. Well, okay. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me do this with you. How about this? What if you had two elite black belts having a shitty kickboxing match and the referee are you talking said, about, you, two, you two stop fucking around and get on the ground? What about that? But are you talking about Ben Askren versus Damian Maya? Is that what you're talking about? Or, that one uh, went to the ground, so that one doesn't count. But like, I don't know. Just imagine a scenario where you had just the, the world's best fucking jiu-jitsu guys and they're just slugging it out, but it's, but it's terrible. Yeah, I, I don't like ref. I don't even like referees standing them up either, Luke. I mean, it's a fight. It's up to the person on the bottom to get up. Correct? Doesn't mean the the judges have to give it to them, but I don't like getting involved. Okay? I don't like I don't the like, zone defense I don't like in this, NBA. I don't like yeah. any of that shit. All right. I don't like this idea, but I don't mind referees intervening personally. All right, here's one for you, BC. At powerful juice box. What are the chances Anderson can actually get a fight with Roy Jones Jr. And what are the chances? He could win. Well, there's a problem now. It's like too late. Let's be honest. Like the window where Roy was old, but still like surprisingly with it in terms of like hands. Like basically, Anderson Silva is now what Roy Jones was for about a decade in his 40s, right? He was like old, but because he was such a freak athlete in his prime, he still kind of had stupid hand speed and reaction time where against marginal competition, which is who uh, Roy fought for basically the last decade of his career. And also, if you're going to get into a celebrity fight, you're kind of fighting marginal competition. You can still thrive and look kind of good. I think that we're past that now. I mean, you saw Roy against Mike Tyson, Luke. I mean, it was like, I know he's the smaller man, but it was... It, it's it's probably easy to make, but at this point, Luke, there's really no hook to it. I think we would all assume after watching that fight against Chavez that Silva would win it. What made it a fun thing in the beginning was that when Roy was 45 and we were talking about this, you still had to favor Roy, but you're like, hey, man, could Anderson overachieve because he's only, let's say, 38 at that time or whatever, and you know, could he still have some moments? Maybe. Now what's the hook, Luke? There's no hook at all. Yeah, I mean, can they make it? I actually think it's pretty easy to make. Chances he could win? I'll say this. I think Roy Jones Jr. is way more washed than Anderson. Way more. Dude, it's not even a question. Like, Roy's like 51. Like, it's not even... No, it's not even... And has been viciously KO'd relatively recently. Uh, Okay, you know what didn't happen last Monday, Luke, when you took morning combat off and we had on a guy I consider a a, a brother in these parts, okay? Sugar... Mm -hmm. Rashad Evans. Do you know mm-hmm. I actually randomly teed him up saying, hey, Rashad, like, dude, what's up with your comeback, bro? Like, are you going to get in the Paul brother business? And, you know, we laughed and we whatever. 
You saw that tweet from Brett Okamoto. First of all, Rashad, I'm going to call you out, dude. Why are you giving Brett all your news, man? What about us right here, okay? Yeah, Second I know. Of all, I, I, everyone at CBS, we, none of the reporters here get any of the scoops. It's fucking hilarious, but okay. And by the way, I love Brett, okay? I'll, you know, I'll give I'll give Brett the scoop of the lifetime, but not, not this one, Rashad, okay? Second of all, Luke, you saw that. Per Rashad's manager of the, you know, to the stars, Ali Abdelaziz, it looks like Rashad wants to come back and the targeted potential opponents were what? The Paul brothers and RJ Roy Jones. What about, tell me if you hate this, Anderson Silva versus Rashad Evans in a home and home series. First we do MMA, then we do high rollers, jujitsu, and then we box, winner take all. An academic decathlon, sugar versus spider. You in on this? Uh, I mean, listen, I love Rashad too, and it's because I love Rashad. I don't, I don't love this comeback, to be honest with you. And I could be wrong. I've been wrong about these uh, crossover exhibition thingies in a couple of different directions before, but I'd be lying to you. Be I'd be lying to you, BC, if I told you I loved it. I think. Listen, I think there's probably a couple of fights that they could make. Certainly, some exhibitions. That are probably just fine, you know, that are probably not a big deal. And we should just, you know, we shouldn't hand ring and pearl clutch over it. But I think anytime there's a real chance of a of a of a serious KO, you know, part of the reason why I think he retired was um I don't think he felt bad physically, and I think he was pretty honest about that, but he took some bad KOs, man. You know, and yeah, but uh, since everyone here since he licked the toad, things are different, Luke. Maybe so. Maybe again, dude. I, I I'm not his doctor. I'm not his manager. I'm certainly not his boss or or uh, anything like that. I'm just telling you, somebody who cares about him a lot and wants to see him have a really productive life in this chapter of his career. I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't worried. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Do you think that Logan Paul would knock Rashad Evans out? That's really the bottom line here, Luke. Okay? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. But like, what if he did, man? Like, you know. But what if he had us? What if he had us in the corner, Luke? I'd carry the bucket for him. Listen, he asked me to support I'd, him. I'm going to support him. I'm just I'd listen. Coach I, I have a right. As, I have a right as somebody who cares about him, who covered his career from the Ultimate Fighter to this point, to say I've seen a lot of damage. I don't want to see anymore. I don't think that makes me a villain, and I don't think that makes me an asshole. I just I care about the guy. So I hope whatever he in ends up taking. Between rounds, I'd be like, here, lick this stamp, bro. Let's get back <laughs> in this fight. All right. All right. Last one from at. RLI two cool six BC, please give a shout out. Oh, you pathetic bastard! To my soon-to-be wife Heather <laughs> at Heels Girl six one five. She's a big fan and the love of my life. Now at forty two, I found her. We're Woo! going to Vegas, BC, on Friday, and we're gonna get married by Elvis. We love <laughs> you guys. Well, congratulations. At 42 on Finding True Love, I say. BC. Thank what you. About yeah, you? first of all, congratulations. Second of all, they seem pretty high class, Luke, to get Elvis to marry them. But, you know, yeah, I love Elvis, okay? so. Uh, <laughs> but, look, shout out to Heel Girl, Heather. Thank you for finding this man. He's got old balls. I'm sure you know about that by now, unless you guys are, are holding out. Um, but, you know, he's probably one of us, meaning washed, mediocre, but he just loves combat and he loves life and he's probably a great dude. So marry this guy, make him happy. I don't know if you have childbearing hips or what your biological clock is saying right now, Heel Heather, but maybe even give this guy a bundle of joy, okay? Uh, thank you for being fans of our show. We love you. We'd love to see you in our merch, okay? In fact, I'd love to send you some free merch for a wedding gift if we only had a merch 2.0 website. Maybe Wednesday. Maybe Wednesday's our day. But Luke, if they would asked you, if they said, look, we love MK so much, you know, Elvis is great, 
but we want Luke Thomas to marry us. Hey, Luke, you and I, we will be in Las Vegas the weekend of July 10th for uh, Connor Poiwi Way 3. You know, it's, I mean, this could be an MK spinoff doc waiting to happen, right? Yeah, I mean, Luke, not. if anyone here should object that these two would marry heel Heather and this 42-year-old guy with old balls, say it now or forever hold your peace, right? Uh, I'm going to let Elvis do his thing. I'm going to stay out of it. I don't want okay. that. I don't want that kind okay. of kind of, kind okay. of well this guy no longer has to hold his peace because he's found true love luke so we we support that in this world okay i've been married for uh how long luke uh 14 years and it's been Jesus, the best thing really? that ever happened to me luke okay boy he said with real conviction uh yes congratulations to these folks thank you for your support go get married by elvis and uh don't die in vegas all right bc speaking of dying in vegas and elvis Dying on the toilet, no less, although not in Vegas. Let's go to Have You Seen This Shit, shall we? Yeah, this is what we do, Luke, every Monday. We scour the globe for the good, the bad, the ugly, the in-between. In combat, sports, and beyond, it's the shit you missed while you were living your life. H-Y-S-T-S. Let's do it. Run the graph. There you go. Oh, God. Ow, ow. UFC fight night in Vegas, Luke. Check out the savage ground and pound from middleweight Bruno Silva, who is mm -hmm. making his UFC debut against Wellington Terman. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, get some of that. Mm. Yeah. Damn, dude. Right? Dude, he is heavy, heavy-handed, and then that head has nowhere to go. So when My you hit it, thick... it just drives into the mat. Oof. Yes. My man's got a thick beard, too. Give him 50K, Luke. Please. Please yeah, do this that. Dude, this, dude, uh, this dude can he can thump, man. He's, he's a fact, serious power puncher. give culture. him 50K in cash, in a paper bag, and don't put it on your court tax records, John Nash, okay? Please. Thank you. Because they would yeah, never do that, too. Yes. Look, they would never give bonuses in cash, right? They would never do, they would never do something like that, right, Luke? They might, but on. it's all documented. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. All right. Also in Vegas on Saturday, lightweight Rick Glenn. Luke needed just 37 seconds of savagery Ooh. to finish Joaquin Silva. Look at this GNP. Fedor would love this shit, right? Yeah, I've, I, I've thought that Rick Glenn has underperformed in UFC because if you saw him in World Series of Fighting, that dude was a hammer. And he's had some good wins, to be clear. But this is definitely the Rick Glenn I've been waiting for for a while. So shouts to Rick Glenn. Great, great win. And I, I, I believe in his upside a lot. I think he has definitely not fulfilled his potential yet. Yeah, be the hammer, Rick Glenn. Love that. Also, flyweight Casey O'Neill, Luke, put the backpack on jujitsu black belt Lara Procopio mm -hmm. and got the damn tap. This Anytime you can tap a black belt, Luke, that's something special, right? It's hard to do, man. And I always say it, man. You can be uh, any belt. It doesn't matter. If you get a choke on someone, Whoa. it doesn't matter you what your belt is. You have to respect it. That's true. I mean, it's like, like you and I, when I sneak up behind you one of these days on camera, tap or nap. Yes, but bitch. the difference is you have no idea what you're doing. Uh, well, you know, it doesn't matter the belt I'm wearing, Luke. But did you see how Casey O'Neill just dismisses her head? Like, she's passed out. She's just like, get this shit out of here. Yeah, oh, I, I don't like that. I don't like it when they choke out someone and then they rudely shove their body off of them. Yeah. I don't like that. That's what happened. Hey, Luke, big win for Marlon Vera coming off the Jose Aldo loss in a fun I, war against I think, Davey Grant. I think Davey Grant. Grant needs a new mask. I don't know if that's Fauci approved. What kind of horror movie shit is this, Luke? Uh, so you want to be an ultimate fighter, Mike God Goldberg? Yeah, you, bro. bro. Wow. Look at that Damn. mask. I'm, gonna, I, I, I'm actually I'm going to ask Davey Grant to send me that mask. I'm just going to wear it everywhere in D.C. now. Oh, you yeah. Sorry, I'm just coughing up that, Luke. Huh? Yeah. Wow. Wow. And speaking of wash guys over 40... 
How about Matt Brown? Not washed at all, it turned out, against Diego Lima. One hit a quitta, as Rashad Boom. would say, Luke. Just unbelievable. How's that for 40, bitch? I love Matt Brown. I mean, yes, he's immortal, but just, I mean, just a warrior spirit, Luke. He don't care about anything. Remember after the fight, Bisping's like, I heard that you didn't want to fight him because you was your teammate. He's like, that's not the truth. He's like, he's like, I'll fight him right now again. You know, like I love, I love it, Luke. I love interviewing Matt Brown. He's just, he's like a confirmed psychopath. I love the guy. He's great. And he did a good job splitting his timing here too. Just, that's a great punch. That's a, I mean, not just because it was effective, but, but the, but the, the nature of the timing, superb. Good for him. I, I could see him living in the woods the rest of his life and being very happy, Luke. Only if he could fight and hunt bears. That's it. With his bare hands, please. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned I Isak Pitbull Cruz. Check out the S&M mask he wore to the ring on Saturday. Luke, you into this? Now, let me ask you. Is that a werewolf mask? Like, what is that? Or is that a Pitbull mask? Like, what's that supposed I, to be? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> is he the, the giver or the receiver wearing that? I don't know, Luke. But that's something special right there, I think. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah. That's uh, it's scary, That's just the same. Okay. Hey, top-ranked boxing from Vegas. You see this co-main event? Check out the final minute of the final round between Adam Lopez and Isaac Dog Bay. Luke, they got after it in a fun little 12-round brawl here, or 10-round brawl, excuse me. I did not see this, actually. Ooh. Oh, yeah, let them, let them hands go. So Dog Bay came away with a somewhat generous majority decision he needed it luke dog bay's in the red gloves but uh heck of a fight here it was very brutal and they went after it so fun to see okay okay yeah yeah let that let those hands go bang bang try and stop me bang oh yeah oh yeah luke all right maybe it was better when i was watching it live hey mm -hmm. also uh top rank in vegas <laughs> 89-year-old Bob Arum rocking out with Gene Simmons of Kiss fame as they both summon the devil. You into this, Luke? I mean, I have so many awful things to say about their prostate, so I'm going to leave it alone. <laughs> I mean, Grandpa, where's that tongue band? Seriously. <laughs> also, I mean, Bob Arum looks like he's being tased, you know. Uh, <laughs> and Gene Simmons, could you be less relevant? Get the, I mean, who gives a fuck? Wow, I, I'm not a Kiss fan at all, Luke, at all. I've heard their right. music. It's the worst shit on earth. I, I'm not going to defend Kiss at all. It's, it's, it's not my shit at all. I'm sorry. Everyone out there, yeah, I listen to Genesis. I love it, okay? Big time. And Joey by the way, Mitchell you missed it. They were like, and they were like, and they were like, and Gene Simmons is sitting ringside here. And then they had Gene like kind of shadow boxing as he's explaining to someone obviously next to him who probably doesn't give a fuck what he has to say about anything. <laughs> and he's like throwing these like old man punches and shit. And I'm like, Gene, yeah. get the fuck off the screen, guy. <laughs> wow. Wow. All right. Uh, from that fight TV pay-per-view from Guadalajara, Luke Anderson Silva doing Anderson Silva things. Let's just let's just love it and live it here again. Once again. All Look right. At, pe pe Look at the, the, these boxers don't know about Anderson begging people to come fight him. This is a tried and true trick for all, all of us MMA fans, but but Chavez Jr. didn't know what to do with it. God nah, bless he, Anderson, he, boy. Yeah, he walking don't, he him don't down. Stuff. How about Chavez Jr. just just missing weight? The smaller fighter moving up and just blowing the Dude, weight again. This is me telling my daughter it's time to eat. Come yeah, over here yeah. and eat, and then she's just hitting me. Well, Luke, after the fight, Real did recognize Real. This was a fun moment to see, Luke. Two two greats, two all time greats. Okay, a lot of love and respect there. Canelo's the man, dude. He's he's hard. I, I, I obviously, if you're a rival, whatever. But like, just as an observer, BC, if you're a fan or a media like us, and we kind of toe the line between, it's kind of hard to hate Canelo these days. He's doing a lot of things right.
Yeah, except for maybe some of the tats, right? They were a little weird, but you know that's fine. That's fine. Look, yeah, you got yeah, weird. Listen, tats as too. a guy who's got bad tattoos, I can't say shit. There you go. Hey, submissions of the week here, Luke. One championship. Ariel Sexton pulls off a rare double submission. Did you see this? So he does the step behind Senkaku here, and then was he going to grab the leg? He's going to grab the leg here. Oh no, no, no! He's going to twist the elbow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You like that? That good? Uh, yeah, it's great. Step behind like that. You, yeah. There's a lot of things you can do with that. Mm -hmm. He. That's a. That's a thing he's done many times in, in training. I guarantee it. Okay, put that guy on one championship, the Apprentice edition. I'd love to watch that yeah. shit. All right, uh, how about this BJJ taking the flipping to take the back, Luke? Is this a respected move in the game, or is this some carnival shit? Watch this. Let's see. Let's see. Yes, it's called the cartwheel pass, and he just did it. He was able to take the back, but yes, that's very that's very legitimate. Mm -hmm. Is that like a hot sauce in and one, like bouncing the ball off someone's face? Is it the equivalent of that, Luke? I, yeah, I mean, yes, at the higher levels, it doesn't work quite as well. Um, but, you know, it, it can be a good way to, uh, you know, put some dynamism into your mobile passing game if you need to, back-taking game as okay. well. This guy this guy hey, just kind of laid it up for him. Uh, good news. Uh, tryouts for, uh, for a, a new Jackass movie are, are this week. Let's check, it, let's check this out. <laughs> oh, God. Are they white, BC? Yeah. Oh right, God. right. God. Dude, I mean, I mean I, the amount of white people who are just bored out of their tits. That looks like who, the UK to me, Luke. That who looks, just I mean, need no, no, no. This is like Poland or something, you know? Yeah, that's a that's a party follow with that beer too. Oh, like, oh man, God. just yeah. Speaking of party follows, Luke, where I come from, this is called a piss pour. <laughs> Got a little on you there, honey. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. What What Woo! is she drinking? Oh, Jose, what is she drinking out? Oh, is that her? Oh, that's her credit card. Yeah, she's she's got to pay for the next round, Luke. Yeah. yeah. What What do you want to bet? How many times has that fucking thing been declined? Fifty. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. All right. Hey, Luke. This next video is called. Uh, this is a two for one. Two birds at one time. This is breaking tackles and breaking the law at the same time. But check out this guy. He's the Gale Sayers of armed robbery. Look at this. Dude, Luke. This guy is a fucking hero. Look at look. Yes. It, it looks like a Benny Hill sketch. They didn't catch him though, Luke. Okay, he he ran all the way to freedom, right? Got, Remember when yeah, Bo I, Jackson honestly, just kept running? I, I feel like yeah. this is true. I feel like if the crime is a misdemeanor, and yeah. you outrun the cops, they should waive that's, the charge. That's fair game in the hood, Luke. I'm into that. Okay, you know what I mean? Suburbs too. You know, yeah. Listen, if, 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 if it's not a felony and they just can't catch you, I feel like you win. You know, you try to pull me over, but I get to my front door in time. It's all bets are off, right? I, yeah. I made it. it it's yeah. like playing tag. You know, it's like home base. Yeah. All so right. to me, this guy should be all charges waived. Hey, Luke, one day you can tell your daughter that this is how you met her mother. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I mean, you know who what? doesn't want that? You know what? <laughs> you got to shoot your shot, buddy. <laughs> it's the holiday gift that keeps on giving, Luke, right? You know what I mean? You may lose a front door in the process. By the way, shouts to the CBS logo at the bottom. 
<laughs> we approve this message. Yes, we do. All right, it's drunk fail time, Luke. Check out this shotgun fail. I think they call this a thirst trap, Luke. Oh, this girl on the right is going to do something stupid, right? Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, you know, I, I got a feeling it's not the first time something like that's happened, though, Luke. Okay, to be honest Honestly, the punishment for White Claw should be like every can contains gonorrhea. It's like everyone gets gonorrhea <laughs> drinking it. <laughs> oh, in the face, indeed. Uh, let's keep it going. Drunk girls here outside of the cab, Luke. Um, NYC. Oh yeah. I mean, what's the responsibility of the cab driver if if the if your party gets out and they can't <laughs> they can't walk away, Luke? Um. Oh, she, they need to tire to. St- oh, oh wow. <laughs> yeah. You know can what now? But get- I was gonna, I was gonna bash him. Are they, are they uh, of my, uh, the, you know, like me? Are they of the Caucasian preference? What are they here? I don't know, Luke. I but can't quite tell. So I'll, I'll, I'll. <laughs> they're shit faced. I'll tell you that much, yeah. Luke. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I've, se- I've seen. By the way, I've seen this play out a million times. Did I ever tell you about the time I was in New York City? I lived in New York City, and I was in a cab, and I'm like, "All right, take me to like 37th and 7th, like wherever I was going," and the dude drove down the block right into a telephone pole. <laughs> oh God, Luke! Wow. He oh, ran a Luke, red light. Okay? Yeah, I was fine. He ran a red light. He hit a telephone pole, and then I'm like, "Dude, are you?" I asked the driver, "I'm like, are you okay?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm fine." He goes, "It'll be fifteen dollars." I'm like, "Bitch, are you under the impression <laughs> I'm paying you for this fucking ride?" I just got out of the cab and walked. I'm like, I'm not paying you shit. Yeah, uh, <laughs> take my whiplash and keep the change, please. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We got one. Fuck we got off. One more drunk fail for you, Luke. Oh, uh, yeah, is, here we go. They used to ask for beads, but this girl wants a taste, Luke. She got the whole damn thing. <laughs> wow, wow. I mean, that's a that's a, that's, that's a lot of wasted sangria there, Luke. That's not <laughs> that's not efficient <laughs> management right there. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Hey, oh, you wow, want a skinny yeah. girl margarita, bitch? Yeah, here, take the whole thing, yeah. Hey, Luke, we had a moment here at Island Fights promotion a, a, a week and a half ago. Did you see this uh, weigh-in fisticuffs here? I did, man. Don't be throwing shit in people's faces, dude. I mean, look at this, Bob. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't be. And don't then be throwing the whole shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Listen, these are not oh, yeah. drunk girls asking for sangria at your doorstep. You can't be, gentlemen. Doing that. We're on national television here, gentlemen. And Please, by the way, I don't know if we have the whole clip, but this dude's face gets fucked up. I bet the whole fight was called off, right? I think they may have folded the promotion after this, Luke. It's, I'm sorry, it happens, right? Look That's at his face. Yeah, I mean, you get what you get, dude. This is why it's like, dude, let me see. You wanted to do this and not get paid versus waiting 24 hours and getting paid? Okay. That's All the right. thing. There's an art. I hate when when the commission, like in these UFC ceremonial weigh-ins, you know, you hear the commission said, if anybody touches each other, you lose your purse and the fight's over. There's an art to coming as close as you can to the line to sell the fight and get us excited and still not maiming each other. Am I right, mm-hmm. Luke? Mm-hmm. And this is well over it. All right. Hey, Luke, AEW held their first MMA fight in their first MMA cage on Friday night. Jake Hager against Wardlow. Here's a little sample of the action. You into this? Did he have a phoner? I think he did, Luke. I think he did. But uh, look at this. Hurricane Rana. Yeah. You don't see that too often in the MMA cage. Let me ask you a question. What happened to Jake Hager in Bellator? Anything? Uh, He went life or death with that meat packer the last time out, and he got the win, but... uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he'll come back eventually, Luke. I mean, you know, he he is who he is at this point. He's like 40, Luke, right? Let me ask you a question. Wasn't there some dude who was supposed to fight in Bellator named like Ryback or some shit? 
Uh, he he had wanted to at some point, but didn't go through with it. Yeah, uh-huh. right back. Yeah. All right, let's keep it going here, Luke. Uh, home invasion, no more. Check out this guy fighting off three burglars at Ooh. one time, Luke. Anthony Smith would be very impressed. What the fuck? This guy, this guy is living out everyone's fucking life. What the fuck? Dude, Gaff, wow, can you full bro. Screen on this, this is this is impressive as shit. Dude, zero hesitation. Look at that. Zero. How do you run off three guys with just your right hand? I mean, that's insane. And by the way, hold on. Did a cat come through there? Did I notice a cat? <laughs> hold on. Black Start cat. Start the thing over yeah. again. Look at it. Oh, a dog. It's a dog. The dog comes yeah, in. That's the dog. The, by mean, the way, the dog. Incredible zero help. What a bullshit animal. Well, yeah, but they didn't, he didn't need help. The guy's a badass who owns the house, right? I mean, this is, yeah. that's incredible stuff right there, that's all right? That's fair. That's fair, yeah. Hey, Luke, speaking of badasses, only the toughest guys in the world wear gloves to weightlift, including your boy, Sergio Ramos of uh, of football fame, Luke. I know. I know. I know. What do you want me to say? I can't defend it. I love him, but... He wants to protect his palms. You got a problem And, with and his pull-ups are bullshit. He's not going down all the way. I mean, what do you want me to say? You know. Do you I, think he could survive at zoo culture? Oh, yeah, he'd be fine. His dips are shitty. He's not going down all the way. I mean, it's like, dude, less weight, better range of motion, you fucking moron. All right, Luke, your favorite game each week is called Rate This Tat. I've gotten sent this about 5,000 times. Jorge Bernal, the coach of Brandon Moreno, within hours, it seems, of Brandon winning the uh, UFC's flyweight title, got this tat on his leg. Luke, this is Mr. Hebos level love and commitment to his fighter your thoughts on on the art people want to know take the floor luke that thing is busted man oh come on the spirit of it luke it's close enough are you what are you asking me to judge are you asking me to judge the sentimentality because the sentimentality is a 10 out of 10 a plus okay now thank you but that out of that out of the way you're asking me to judge the tattoo yes that thing is a disaster um oh oh my god luke come on it's not, not good. Bad. It's not it's not good. I mean, here's the thing. It's like like for example, like just look at the face on the tattoo. The guy can't pl- it's dude, hold on. Here's the other part too. Look at the picture and look at the face of Brandon Moreno. So he's got dark over his eyes, but the nose is well lit. That's going to be a very hard thing to tattoo even for the very very best people. And this other guy couldn't do it, so you don't get any of the shading. So to get the difference, he actually doesn't play with negative space. He just has white. Look at the white over the eyebrow where the hairline stops. Look how it goes white. He he put in white on the on the face, among among many other things, including like uh, you know line work and shading. The coloring is all okay, over so the place he, on this one. So the face is brutal. The rest of it, I kind of like it, Luke. No, I mean the arm doesn't have quite the same. It's just like the, the arm is kind of curved in a way against the belt, the left arm. In the way that it's not supposed to be, the le- the lettering is off. Like, dude, here's the thing. I always tell people this: a tattoo of this photo, right? Portrait realism by by itself, super hard to do. This picture in particular, you should only go to like one of five people on the planet to do. That's how hard it is to do. The guy who did this tattoo might, or the lady, whoever, they actually might be pretty good. But they got tasked with doing this picture, which is extremely, extremely difficult to pull off. And uh, they couldn't do it. So, yeah, don't do that, folks. Don't do that. Which artist should I... When we get to 150,000 subscribers and I get an MK tat, do you have an artist in mind for me, Luke? 
Yes, there's this Australian dude, but he does U.S. tours. The guy who did the McGregor and like the LeBron and the MJ tattoos. Let me pull him up here. I'll show you. Uh, portrait re- dude, portrait realism with color is fucking here. Steve Butcher. Now, contrast that. Contrast that. I'm going to show you here. I'm not getting a tab from a guy named Butcher, Luke, anytime soon. I got enough fear of needles. Okay, let me give you an example of a much better portrait realism tattoo that you can you know sink your teeth into here a little bit and you might you might like a little bit better here's one and this it plays with a lot of the same um like shading or whatever here the kobe tattoo right he's got it here here hold on one second let me pull this up here uh great great tv right now Luke. This great, i know great i know it's move, move to the next one i'll dig this up here but move to the next one i'll find it for you okay the next slide is also part of rate my tat luke Check out this Ward Gotti tat that has made the rounds. Yeah. Can we full screen this and get Luke's reaction? Okay, Please. hold on. This is... Check this out, Luke. Check this out. Yeah. Can we play um, the video? It's That's better. That's the guy's chest. It's better. It's better. It's better than the other one for sure. The coloring, the saturation on the color is great. I just... I, I just don't love the tattoo idea, you know? I don't love the throat. The throat is a little scary, Luke. I mean, I think even Austin Vanderford rolled over in his grave watching that. You know, I mean, that's... But hold on. Look at this. I'm going to put it on my screen here. Look at Steve Butcher's tattoos. See if I can take... I'm going to back it up a little bit. Is that a Kate Spade case? No, no, it's a uh, Taurus case. You can't quite see here because I'm holding it up and it's not a great picture. But, like, go to Steve Butcher tattoos on Instagram and look at his Kobe. That's 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 portrait realism. And dude, he's one of like 10 motherfuckers who can pull this off on earth. Don't get wow. portrait realism wow. unless it's a portrait realist specialist. Okay. That's cool. Um RIP Kobe, girl dad Luke, do you like you like yourself? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, the, this tattoo is not bad in many ways. I just I just don't I, I don't love the it's composition. Aggressive. It's aggressive. Yeah, it's aggressive, yeah. And, and, and also, it's weird. It's like, shoulders his, and I don't know. Did he have the throat thing before, and then they added this around? Or like, I don't know him from Adam. I don't even know who this is, Luke. Because it's a weird. It's like, oh, I'm going to have a mouth on my Adam's apple. Also, here's Gotti Ward. Like, I don't quite, I don't quite get the tattoo. But it, the, set, the coloring is nice for the most part. You should get Paige Van Zandt's logo on your throat tat. You think Austin would be upset about that, Luke? I wouldn't do that, though, you know. All right. Wait, let's keep it going. We're almost done here, Luke. Paulie, poor Paulie Malinaji. He got pranked at the Bare Knuckle show he was announcing by New York radio host and TikToker Corey B, who is, is like a part-time boxer himself. Um, so that's the first video where Corey B put some talcum powder on his hand and came up and messed with Paulie. And here's the second video where uh, they, they got into a little skirmish here. I mean, come on. Like, you know, leave Paulie alone, right? Dude, I, what are we doing to poor Paulie here? I, I like yeah, Paulie Malinaji a lot. He's always been super cool with me, man. I love Paulie. Yeah, for our former Showtime brethren, big fan of that guy. All right, to close, Luke, uh, we saw a guy make a bong out of a fish a couple weeks ago. I think this is called a human bong. Let me introduce you to Artie, the one-man party, inside of his uh, sweatshirt right there, Luke. You into this? Wait, that's a dude sitting, and he's got his shirt folded over his head? Yes, and he's turned his sweatshirt into a bong. You do that. You do have to be careful since it's fire, Luke. Okay. Let my me, man. Let me my stand man. next to your fire. Yeah. Just, just yeah. have an edible, you fucking idiot. 
They have pre-rolls, sir. We don't need to actually do this anymore, all right? Woo! I, mean, you, all right. I, I love the innovation of stoners. They're like, bro, here's what we're going to do. We're going to we're gonna have some Rube Goldberg fucking, you know, if the dominoes fall this way and hit the switch and then light the candle and blah, 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 and then we'll get a bunch of smoke. Just go put some marijuana in a pipe and smoke it, you fucking idiots. It doesn't have to be that hard. You'll get just as high. Yeah. Gaff knows. Gaff knows this shit. Oh, Gaff right? knows. Uh, that's, the, that's the shit this week, Luke. That's all I got. All right. Hope you enjoyed right. it. Uh, time for odds and ends as we wrap things up here, BC. What do you have for odds and or ends? Yeah, I'm really excited about August 14th on Showtime. Originally, it was going to be a 122-pound title bout between the Philippines's Philippines's or the Philippines? Jean-Riel Casimiro. If you don't know this guy, he's a badass puncher, goes after it. He was going to fight the old defensive wizard, Guillermo Rigondeau. Luke, the powers that be at Showtime and PBC have switched plans. Rigondeau is okay with it and may show up on the undercard. But Nonito Donaire, the 38-year-old legend who just won a title by stopping Nordinu Bali, is going to unify titles at 122 against Casemiro. There are so many things to love about this. One, two huge punchers getting together, both from the Philippines. It's very rare in that country, which has such a great boxing tradition, that two native countrymen fight each other. The fight's going to be a freaking war, Luke. And the winner will be a unified champ looking to get Naoa Inoue, the monster, into the ring for all four titles. This, I mean, this is a gift to boxing. And let's be honest here, Luke, similar to what we said earlier about Charlo and that, that tweet from Stephen uh, Breadman Edwards, staying active and consistent, you can be at your best. Donaire did not get hurt in the Ubali fight. He stopped it earlier than a lot of us thought he would. This is him staying fresh, staying in the gym, and trying to max out this window that he has, Luke, of being 38, of being relevant again. And they interviewed him on the top-ranked post-show on ESPN afterwards, and they're like, you know, what are you doing, bro? You're already a Hall of Famer. Why are you going after a new way again? And he's like, you know, I love to challenge myself. Like, this is what I do. Um, I don't know if, it, if Donaire can get past Casemiro. That's, that's how good this fight is. It's going to be a great fight. But for the hardcore fan... For the MMA fan who listens to us and reaches out to me and says, BC, okay, maybe your show's a little box heavy, but you're getting me into the box again. You're showing me the fights I need to see. Nonito Donaire versus John Riel Casimiro, August 14th, is not me shilling for Showtime. That's a war you need to see. And Luke, could they pick a better venue than the damn war grounds itself? The Punch Bowl, as Morrow calls it, Dignity Health Sports Park. In Carson, California. Mm. Hell mm. yeah, brother. Hell yeah. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. And uh, by the way, for MMA Connection, Nonito Donaire had trained with Brandon Moreno. And then when Brandon Moreno won his UFC title, Nonito Donaire was effusive with praise for him on social media. So shouts to Donaire. Having, having, having a last chapter here, BC, of his career where he's doing the damn thing. And there's a cool so, story real quick. Donaire used to be trained by his father, and also, Donaire's brother used to be a pro fighter. Right now, though, Donaire is trained and managed by his wife, Rachel, who's well-known in the fight circle. She was a, a champion. I think kickboxer. I, I forgot what discipline of martial arts she was a champion in, Luke. But she's she's his trainer. And she has been, like, the instrumental force in this late career comeback. Mm. It's a fun little story there from the Donaire family, Luke. Okay? Good I'm for him. Uh, you kind of spoil mine, but that's okay. Because uh, for my odds and ends, I just want to give a shout to uh, Matt Brown, the immortal. 
you know, uh, going out there and beating Diego Lima, one punch KO, sat him down, and then afterwards goes to the screen and goes, how's that for 40, bitch? Good for, good for Matt Brown, you know? Um, finding some ways to stay competitive, and he's, and he's taken the right fights, I think, for this stage of his career, too. Diego Lima, by no means a pushover, but, you know, I think uh, appropriately lined up, at least on paper ahead of time, with, with what Matt Brown has to offer. Phenomenal punch, phenomenal result. And a guy who just lives for combat. I think as long as he can perform like this, you know, and that won't be forever, obviously, but for right now, yeah. it's certainly the case. Let him let him just keep on doing his thing. Extremely impressive. And by the way, BC, one of these guys, you know, he's never going to win a UFC title. But if you just define greatness by who held titles and who didn't, I know that's the most important kind of marker of greatness, obviously. But these guys, BC, who... They just stay active and they find ways to stay relevant and they keep training and they keep working on their craft. They, over time, you know, you get these win records like most knockouts, most stoppages, most wins, most uh, appearances or whatever it may be. You know, Brown has added his name to that list. I forgot exactly what it was. Um, uh, Michael Carroll from Fightmetric had tweeted it out. You know, he's up there, I think, tied with most finishes uh, in UFC history, something insane like that. So, you know, uh, I have a lot of respect for the career of Matt Brown, where you got to open your eyes to what achievement really looks like, because to be able to win for as long as he has at the level he has, that is very difficult to do. And uh, he looked yeah, you great on Saturday. You got to shout out the Jim Miller types. You know, they never got over that big hill of, of you know getting to the title level and winning, but to be relevant from thirty-five to forty where you don't suffer that type of losing streak that typically ends most guys' careers and you find new ways to win. And, yeah, at times maybe you're the, the, the nail and the hammer nail debate against the rising contender, but you, you've figured out your level and you're pretty consistent at that level. And you can get – I mean, Matt Brown's had some – I mean, when he, remember when he finished Diego Sanchez with that, with that elbow, that was some gnarly, nasty shit right there. I mean, this guy's still, still fun as – hey, how about Nick Diaz versus Matt Brown? How about it? How about uh, it? But by the way, they could go that direction real quickly. Most finishes, Matt Brown is tied for third. You know who he's tied with? He's tied with Anderson Silva and Vitor Belfort. Obviously, he hasn't beaten some of the same names that Anderson Silva has. Okay, but still, that he got fourteen fucking finishes in the UFC, dude. That's not 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 easy to do. And he tied Derek Lewis and Vitor Belfort for most knockouts in UFC history with twelve. Dude, good for Matt Brown. What a win for him. Luke, I would be remiss if I didn't close the show by referencing the huge news that broke today for one of our fam favorite French-Canadian uh, journalists, uh, meaning me, or at least I'm half French-Canadian, that I will be uh, this week at Jersey City in our morning combat studio. I'm making a return to the studio. Luke, you want to join me? I mean, I, I think, think, I, could, I, think I could probably make some time. We can coordinate that. That'd be kind of fun. Huge breaking news, Luke and I heading back to uh, the armpit of, uh, of America, the, the fine state of New Jersey, uh, doing a little <laughs> bit of Gervonta Tank Davis uh, Showtime pay-per-view coverage. This is Fight Week. Tank Davis going to move up two weight divisions, challenge Mario Barrio. Should be a fun fight this Saturday night. Mm -hmm. um, do we have any other plans? I know we're going to film some future stuff, but uh, yeah. we're, not, like, we're not doing like room service or anything, are we? I don't think so. I don't think so. Right. So uh, we might do one, but I kind of want to not though, do one. When we get back in the studio together, Luke, magic happens. So Wednesday, oh, yeah. Friday, we'll be, you know, Thursday, we'll be hosting the uh, the Tank Davis, Mario Barrios uh, press conference stream Friday, the weigh-in in the afternoon. So uh, a lot of bonus stuff from your boys at MK this week. Uh, you know, Luke, there isn't the debate going around. Do I, do I identify and represent more with my... 
French Canadian heritage or my Lithuanian one? Uh, I don't care. We've been going for two hours and I need to shit. So let's end the show. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, let's remind everyone uh, for Wednesday or for Friday, email us morningcombat at gmail.com for fan submissions or for Dead Wrong on Friday. Like the video, of course. Hit subscribe. Uh, if you want to try Showtime, you may. Showtime.com. You can get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go pound sand. And then you saw the various uh, lower thirds there for social media. It's Morning Combat everywhere. And then for BNBC, slightly different names between Twitter and Instagram. You can see it uh, right there as well. I mean, Luke, are merch. you more Armenian or are you more Indian? Like, what do you identify most with, Luke? I mean... For merch, you can go to store.show.com. And uh, yeah, for now, anyway, I'm told there might be some updates to that, but they've usually been lies. So there's that. All right, BC, uh, I appreciate you being here today. I will see you on Wednesday, good sir. And uh, yes. thanks to Showtime. Yes. Thanks to Malka. Thanks to CBS Sports. Thanks to everyone who watched. So until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.